Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! Yes, you're doing it. Really, quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call a Ghostbuster. Super Jackpot! Welcome to Extraplasm Podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that's ready to believe that in 2024, it will have at least twice the know-how and twice the particle power to deal with all your supernatural information needs. I'm your host, Jim Maritato, aka Maniac, on the internet, and this episode we are ringing in 2024 in style with a celebratory commentary for Ghostbusters 2, featuring an amazing panel of five participants, including me. And the other four people joining us for the commentary are four amazing prior guests. Tom Henry and Matt Sanders of the Containment Unit, aka TCU Collectibles and Toys, are on board and bringing a wealth of knowledge from their own podcast interviews and signing experiences with a number of Ghostbusters 2 cast and effects crew members. And along with them is Derek Osborne, who you may recall as a previous guest on Extraplasm, who's worked as an editor and producer on the Ghostbusters documentary Cleaning Up the Town, and who's currently working on the follow-up Ghostbusters 2 documentary, Too Hot to Handle. And last but not least, Craig Goldberg rejoins us for this episode, who you likely know as one of the co-hosts of Yes Have Some podcast, and whose Firehouse Fridays video segments you're definitely not going to want to miss in 2024, because those kids over at YHS got to go visit the Frozen Empire set and definitely have some stuff to share with us as we get closer to the movie. So, after some brief headlines and housekeeping uh, to wrap up the final news of this year, We've got an outstanding panel to join us for this watch-long commentary of the only Ghostbusters movie that takes place on New Year's Eve, as we ring out the old and ring in the new. And one thing I will tell you now is that if you want to watch the movie such that your midnight experience in your local area is synced up with the Ghostbusters arriving from the roof of the museum and Venkman saying, Happy New Year! (laughs) Then you'll want to start the movie and the commentary portion of the podcast at 1027 and 53 seconds p.m. in your local time. Uh, You will have to, of course, jump ahead in this podcast to figure out where the commentary begins and such, but I'll leave it up to you because if you want to have the full experience, I imagine that you will be able to jump 10 minutes ahead or so or 15 minutes ahead or so in the podcast to figure out where that is to start things at the same time. Uh, So I hope you'll, at least if not, watch the movie and listen to the commentary together at the same time that you might actually do so uh, for, you know, for the New Year's experience. And if you want to do that online, you should know that this podcast will be uh, released on New Year's Eve on YouTube via the Extraplasm YouTube channel, and it will be slated to start as a live premiere such that there'll be a live chat room you can jump in and talk to folks. So if you're listening to this the day before New Year's as it drops and you want to hold it for a day and come back, you can, of course, join us on YouTube where we will be chatting uh, with whoever's available. Uh, But before we get into the commentary and certainly before we jump into anything that's going to be happening live on YouTube, we need to talk about our last set of Ghostbusters headlines for 2023. So let's go ahead and do that with Ghostbusters headlines. Still making headlines all across the country. The Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. Call in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. Extra plasm. Read all about it. Ghostbusters headlines coming at you. So this week's headlines are going to be pretty short, and we're going to start off with one that is specifically about extraplasm. I've been telling you for several weeks to expect something charitable 
and Frozen Empire oriented to celebrate the new year, and I'm finally ready to tell you what that is, though it won't quite be ready until we start 2024. But the big news is that Extraplasm received both full-sized, single-sided 27x40 posters and 11x17 mini posters for Frozen Empire just before Christmas. These are the uh, black background uh, posters with the Frozen Empire logo on them, uh, and they were sent over by Ghost Core. And it is my full intent to get these into your hands as listeners of the podcast while we all have an opportunity to do something charitable to help out Starlight Foundation. And if you recall that we helped out Starlight Foundation last year by participating in the uh, drive to help get some hospital gowns made that looked like Ghostbusters flight suits. And this is still an organization that I like to continue to support. I hold a great deal of affinity for, not just because they rep Ghostbusters and have flight suits for kids in hospitals, but because they do amazing work to improve the lives of six kids and to improve quality of life and provide hope and play for those in need. Uh, so rather than inundate you with a barrage of details, here's the brief pitch. Um, as of January 1st, you will be able to find some listings for Ghostbusters poster bundles and potentially some other cool collectibles from my archive of extras via eBay by going to ebay.com slash USR slash Extraplasm, uh, E-X-T-R-A-P-L-A-S-M, in case you've suddenly forgot how to spell the podcast. And the plan here is for all proceeds of these sales to go to Starlight Foundation, uh, with the accepted funds here being those related to shipping costs. And if you're wondering why it won't be 100% of your dollar uh, amount going to Starlight, it's because if you've never looked at what it costs to ship full-size posters and tubes in the world of USPS surcharges that have begun since 2022, it's not exactly pleasant. Uh, so these will be getting put up on eBay uh, for twofold reasons. One, because it allows me to have the money taken directly out of my PayPal account after people make payments and donate it directly to Starlight uh, so that they will be able to get it. And two, it allows us to utilize the uh, shipping back end and the e-commerce back end so I can get your information and find out where you need your stuff shipped and you can get a tracking number and all those great things. Uh, so the plan again is for the proceeds of these to go to Starlight Foundation. Uh, it's something that I find is going to be really helpful and beneficial to be able to donate, especially as we reach the end of this year and start the new year. One caveat I will put out there for you is that unfortunately, nearly every full size poster that I received has some minor ding uh, to one side or the other based off of how they were packed into the box from the uh, the the provider who Ghost Core and rather Sony Pictures contracts with to send, send out posters. So, but if you intend to frame your poster, you're never going to notice the ding is there because it's literally on the edge. And this is also why if you decide to get on board and support Starlight through this charity benefit sale, you're not only going to get the full size poster, but you'll get a bundle uh, that will include a couple of 11 by 17s as well. So if you're like me and you need to collect all Ghostbusters posters in all size formats and then use them for signings and other things, this will be an opportunity to get these shipped to you without having to chase them down at a con or beg your local theater manager. Uh, so again, look for these listings that pop up on eBay by January 1st at ebay.com slash USR slash Extraplasm. And who knows what else I might decide to list toward this effort up there. I do have quite the archive of extras and you'll have to stop by eBay and take a look uh, to find out. And I hope that you will, uh, because I think that being able to do something charitable at the end of the year is awesome. And maybe, just maybe, you got an eBay gift card uh, for Christmas. I know I did. It's one of those things my family goes, what random Ghostbusters crap will you buy next? We have no idea. Here's an eBay gift card. So if you did, this might be a really great way to be able to both get yourself some cool posters, potentially some other stuff from the archives that I'm going to put up, uh, and, 
you know, to uh, also do something charitable to give back uh, and to help out. Now, on to actual news of the week. Uh, And while there's not a ton of news to report in the final week of the year, as most companies' employees are away on holiday until the new year, there's one big piece of news we need to address for sure, and it is toy-related. This news came hot on the heels of Ghostbusters news reporting that Entertainment Earth was teasing a sequel-related Ghostbusters toy in its drop zone calendar with an anticipated date of Sunday, January 14th for more info to be released. But if you haven't seen the unintentional reveal that took place this week already, we now know that an entire new wave of Ghostbusters Fright Features figures have been discovered in the wild by members of the Austin Ghostbusters. And to be clear, these are in fact different than the Kenner Classics Fright Features we talked about last episode. Uh, These are not the retro figures being re-released. Rather, these are Frozen Empire Fright Features figures that we were all caught off guard by uh, after they turned up at a local toy store in Texas this week. These include new figures of Phoebe, Callie, and Gruberson uh, that are entirely new to the line, and they were discovered alongside a re-release of the existing Trevor figure from Ghostbusters Afterlife. There is fundamentally no difference between that figure and this one, other than the packaging and a new pack-in Ghost. And speaking of pack-in ghosts, this time around the mini ghosts that are included don't have push-button activated fright features and instead have stretchy, faux, sliming action. Uh, As I mentioned, three of these figures are new characters for the contemporary fright features line, though it's worth noting that they are all reusing existing parts. If you take a look uh, at the Gruberson figure, it definitely has the same body, buck, arms, and legs, and torso, etc. as the uh, four classic Ghostbusters figures that came out right before uh, Afterlife. And if you take a look at the uh, new Phoebe figure, which is an older Phoebe, as well as the new uh, Callie figure, they both have uh, the exact same molds as the Lucky figure, straight down to the difference in Lucky's belt that was included for some reason uh, on the Fright Features figures from Afterlife. So These figures are certainly going to repurpose and reuse a lot of the parts that are already out there for the previous existing Fright Features line, but it's certainly nice to have brand new characters who we didn't already have uh, and some new ghosts to go alongside this existing Fright Features line. You've probably heard me talk about this in the podcast before. As much as I like the Plasma series, the Fright Features line from that movie was certainly, to me, the uh, more toyetic line, the thing that's more fun to look at and display. So it's really going to be great to find these and get them. And when we do find them and get them, they won't be alone because apparently there is also a squash and squeeze Slimer that's going to be available as well. Uh, This is kind of exciting. This is a squeezable and squashable Slimer, just like it says in the name. But it also emits over 40 different sounds, according to the uh, packaging that was revealed by the Austin Ghostbusters, which leads me to wonder immediately. Just how large has the licensed Slimer sound library grown since Frozen Empire began production? Uh, Does he have a whole bunch of new lines? Will he have a catchphrase in this movie? Uh, When will I find out? When and where will you find these? Uh, Well, probably we'll find out in January and probably somewhere that receives distribution from Entertainment Earth, given that originally Entertainment Earth had said they were going to reveal things to folks on the 14th of January. Uh, And... I have to be honest, I'm excited about this. Uh, If there's nothing that I'm excited about more than just like the fact there's new toys out there, it's that (laughs) there's going to be toys that are not retailer specific. Um, If Entertainment Earth is distributing these and Entertainment Earth is teasing them, 
and it appears that a local toy store got them, it means that you probably won't see these first at Walmart or Target. Rather, it's going to mean checking local toy stores, game stops, uh, other retailers who receive their assortments from Entertainment Earth and who may be receiving it right now, uh, you know, with boxes that have embargo dates until January 1st that perhaps this retailer didn't notice or didn't otherwise receive notification of. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that's going to be the place to be looking for these before you find them at Tarmart or Walget. Um, but, you know, I, I digress. I could be wrong. But in the past, generally speaking, those are companies that are going to get their toy shipments directly from Hasbro in large, huge wholesale orders that go to their warehouses and then they're pushed out from their massive, you know, central warehouses to regional warehouses, etc. And it's going to take time to trickle, whereas Entertainment Earth is shipping uh, in assortments typically to their wholesale customers. So I would say if you're looking for these as the new year begins, the place to look is going to be wherever Entertainment Earth partners to sell stuff. Look at your local toy store, look at GameStop and look anywhere else that you can think of uh, who gets their stuff from Entertainment Earth. So uh, as more of news becomes available about that, you know, we will be sure to bring that to you here on Extraplasm and keep your eyes open on Extraplasm social media as that kind of stuff becomes available, because if they show up in stock somewhere, I'm going to do my best to tell you in the moment rather than making you wait for a week to find out they were in stock and went out of stock. But you'll need to make sure you're following Extraplasm on, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook, a little less likely on X because I don't post there as much, but you can certainly go follow us there. Uh, and of course, you know, to make sure you're following Extraplasm YouTube if you're not already, uh, just because it's a good idea to do. So not a lot of other official Ghostbusters merch or film news this week, with it being the end of the year. But I do want to tell you about a couple things that are happening in unofficial merch news as we wrap up the year's headlines. As previously discussed, uh, the Phantasm Toys Viggy figures will go live at midnight on New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day Eastern. So just as you're done watching Vigo as a floating head in Ghostbusters 2, if you're listening to the commentary or watching the movie live with your uh, New Year's experience, you can log on to PhantasmToys.com and pre-order a floating head of your very own. Um, you can see images of the two versions of this figure over on the Phantasm Toys Instagram as well as at PhantasmToys.com. The class 10 features a three inch tall head and stands at over six inches tall when on top of its stand, which is attached to a Carpathian altar. Uh, it has hand painted details and scales perfectly with five and six inch figures and comes packed in a box with original artwork. And there's also an XL version of Viggy that is a six inch tall head uh, that stands at 11 inches tall on its stand and that has hand painted details and a cardboard box that has got amazing original artwork. It does not have a, if a, uh, a, an altar uh, in this case because the head is so big that it probably would just fall right over. Uh, but this is definitely a cool piece, especially if you're a Ghostbusters 2 fan. If you're a person who has a scary Scolaris already uh, and you value the ghosts and companion ghosts that they've been putting out over a phantasm for Ghostbusters 2 for a long time. Don't miss out on Viggy because it's going to be a really unique piece. And to be frank, nobody's ever done anything like this before. No one's ever decided to make Vigo as just a floating head. Um, we've only ever seen him released as a uh, bipedal uh, person who just kind of looks like an old human magician. <laughs> um, so it's going to be kind of cool to see him in a different form as an action figure. And our last headline for 2023 uh, in terms of merchandise and things is that popular Lego minifigure creator uh, Cut the Craigle has a new offering going live on January 1st as well. Uh, there's some new additions that are part of the Cut the Craigle Ghostmasters line that are going to be available with a pre-order window starting on January 1st that will then run for two weeks. 
This includes four new characters who you can probably figure out who their analogs are in the Ghostbusters universe, including Flight Suit Jr., Fanboy Scientist, Gearhead Casanova, and the Spirited Matriarch. Um, each of these will include a double-sided head, uh, and their torsos have fan favorite, as Ghostbusters News put them, red parkas, uh, with some additional printing on their arms for logos of, you know, things that look like no and ghosts. Uh, if you're looking to pick these up, again, they'll be available on January 1st with a two-week pre-order window. Uh, they do ship from the UK, so they may cost you a little more to get than usual if you're here in the US because shipping is a thing. Uh, but you should go and check these out at cutthecraigle.com, C-U-T-T-H-E-K-R-A-G-L-E.com as of January 1st. As we wrap up headlines for the year, the final things I want to encourage you to be sure you're doing, uh, make sure you're following Ghostbusters news because there's a lot of headlines and content to come. And of course, you're not going to want to miss any of that. Um, Jason does it a phenomenal job of reporting on what's happening within our fandom. And as we've now gone through one you know, movie for Afterlife and now the lead up to the next one, he has continued to be a phenomenal and timely source of information uh, and also a great friend of the podcast. I really love talking with Jason and he's a great human being. So if you're not following Ghostbusters news for some reason, like make sure you're doing that and make sure you're taking a look at what he puts out on YouTube, because a lot of times what you'll catch on his social media is a quick announcement about something. But he often has a full blown video that is like way more informative than you might see in that little blurb that comes across your Instagram stories. I also want to encourage you, of course, to be checking out, you know, our friends with podcasts out there, including the containment unit, who has a great back catalog of different folks they've interviewed over the past, including Ghostbusters two stars that are talked about towards the end of this week's episode to sort of remind you of who they've talked with in the past. Uh, yes, have some, of course, has a podcast out there that predates this one and has been very supportive of this one. And as I said already, they're going to have a ton of amazing stuff to share with us uh, as they get into the uh, lead up to the new movie. The Cross Rip is back rep uh, doing content on a regular recurring basis, if not weekly. Uh, especially when there's new information and new news that comes out. Troy and Chris continue to do a great job of doing analysis and digesting things and providing a wealth of information that I always say makes me feel like I look stupid because they have so much great intellect and analysis going on in that podcast. And the Black Firehouse podcast has recently returned. For those of you who are into building props and things, I imagine as we get to uh, you know a new HasLab release and more props and new things we're going to see in the new movie, if you want to be uh, up to date on the latest that's happening in prop building and the options out there for you, the Black Firehouse will continue to be a, a resource for you. So, uh, you know, these are all great people who have great content. They're great collaborators and makers who I'm so glad to know and to be in a wonderful community with. Uh, and last but not least, make sure that you're also following our principal cast members for the new movie because you may spot some fun photos from the set of Frozen Empire in places like McKenna Grace and Logan Kim's wrap-up posts for the year. Um, you know, I, I know I've seen something out there in the last 24 hours of McKenna Grace dressed as Phoebe. There were no spoilers in it, but, you know, um, it's kind of fun to see this generation of Ghostbusters uh, cast who are, you know, more social media savvy and younger, who are capturing images and posting them. And, you know, they're, they're these things that are up in an Instagram story for maybe 24 hours and then gone. So if you're not following those folks as you track towards the new movie, make sure you are taking a look at those uh, accounts on Instagram and giving them a like or a follow, etc. Okay, 
So with our final headlines of 2023 under our belts and both our slime blowers and our Blu-ray players loaded and ready for action, let's go now to the celebratory New Year's Ghostbusters 2 commentary with Tom Henry, Matt Sanders, Derek Osborne, and Craig Goldberg. Joining me on Extraplasm Podcast for an awesome Ghostbusters 2 New Year's Eve celebratory commentary, a panel of four awesome contributors, people who have been on the podcast before, people who bring a wealth of knowledge about Ghostbusters and particularly Ghostbusters 2, folks who have studied this thing, who have just been fans of this thing, who have interviewed people who've been in this thing. Uh, And so I'm excited to welcome four folks to the podcast, Craig Goldberg, Matt Sanders, Tom Henry, and Derek Osborne. I'm excited to have all four of you here. Uh, let's kind of go around and rather than say, how are you doing to all of you? And then you all talk at once. Um, we'll kind of do individual here. Craig, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Um, stoked to have you on board to talk about Ghostbusters 2. I think it's a movie we all have sort of seen a million times over, but I think we've kind of turned into a ritual. And I think I wonder if this is really a New Year's movie or not, Um, like the same way we are talking about if Die Hard is or not. But I think we've made it that as a fandom. So thanks for coming on board and doing it. Well, I'm excited. I I actually thought about wearing my Ghostbusters 2 shirt, but then I realized we're not on video. And then I also realized (laughs) I've been wearing it all week. So this is the first time I'm not wearing it, if that makes sense. Well, I will say we're not doing a live commentary, which if you had been wearing the same shirt all week, that would have presented a very different atmosphere for us all to be in yeah (laughs) a different problem but thank you for coming on the podcast and of course uh you contribute a ton of stuff to ghostbusters as a one of the hosts of yes have some podcast which we always represent and say that people should check out on extraplasm uh matt you are joining us from the containment unit autograph collecting group among other amazing things in the ghostbusters universe how are you doing matt jim i'm doing fantastic thank you for having me yeah, um, stoked to have you here. And of course, not just to have you, but also to have Tom, your partner in crime. Uh, the two of you have recently completed your McKenna Grace signing and you have other great things coming up down the pike. Tom, how are you doing? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. And uh, last but not least, as we kind of get through our quick introductions, and then I'm going to throw a curveball question at you all that probably isn't all that curveball because it's a New Year's podcast. Uh, Derek, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm great, Jim. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming back. It's been a while since we've seen you on Extra Plasm because I know I've seen everybody else a little more recently, um, but it's been a while since you've been back. I'm trying to think if we even had things on YouTube the last time you were on the podcast. So if not, like you're going to have your YouTube podcast debut. Woo, hey, I can't wait. Exciting. All right. <laughs> uh, so I wanted I did want to ask you each this because, you know, we're going in the new year and I'm excited about the end of 2023 uh, in large part because I'm always excited about the end of a year because I'm like, whatever was bad is going away now. Um, but we can always look forward to what's coming. That's good. And so I've been thinking a lot about what I'm excited about for 2024, especially with respect to Ghostbusters, having it be the 40th anniversary and a new movie coming out. Um, so I want to ask each of you before we get into Ghostbusters too, like what's the thing that you're most excited about for 2024, uh, in terms of Ghostbusters anybody feel like volunteering to go first, just go ahead and shout it out. I guess outside of the new movie, I'm looking forward to, you know, surely. OK, so a new movie is going to bring us a new like a uh, Blu-ray or 4K or whatever uh, release we're going to have. What new stuff is that going to bring? That's what I'm kind of really excited about. Um, other than, you know, uh, Frozen Empire, of course, and whatever's whatever, whatever else is coming our way. But yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like if we get a new collection for 40th anniversary, will it come inside of a slime blower made of cardboard? Will it come inside of a ghost trap? Will it light up in all regions or just some of them? <laughs> These are the kinds of important questions. But I mean, you're right. Like there's a ton of stuff out there that's been like yet to be released that we know exists, whether it's from Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, from um, from the most recent movie, from Afterlife. Like there's so much stuff out there we've yet to see. And I would be stoked to find uh, you know, new unreleased content. I think that's a really good answer to that question. Now I'm thinking Perfect. about that. <laughs> uh, anybody else want to chime in with, with your grand expectation or your thing you're hoping for, for 2024? I'll go. So I would say there's a couple things outside of the movie, of course. One, it's a big year for us at the containment unit. We are looking to finish a few things the summertime with an event that we're working on that I'm pretty stoked about. At least the idea of it is pretty killer. I would say the other thing I'm looking forward to, and I hate to put them on the spot, but I am hoping that I get invited to the YHS party around the premiere. <laughs> That's going to be a vibe, as the kids would say. <laughs> is this my turn to talk now? It is now. Uh, I think you're just thrown under that bus. <laughs> you know, the, the, the premiere party we did um, in 2021 for Afterlife came together really quickly. Because usually the information for the premiere is only available sometimes it feels like hours before the before the <laughs> event. Um, so yeah, our we have full intention of doing something similar. Um, and obviously you guys are all uh invited. Uh last time was a ticketed event. Uh this time will also be right around my 40th birthday. So we'll we'll make it a big uh a big blowout. Maybe we'll do a ticketed event and then like a, a VIP GB2 commentary participants only after party. <laughs> Even my own wife will be blocked. I'm She'll calling like, that event Craig Stock. Craig Stock. Yes, yes. <laughs> Celebrating not only the 40th anniversary of Ghostbusters, but also the 40th anniversary of Craig Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, Aerosmith and Pearl Jam. Oh, <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh always excited for what the containment unit is doing. Obviously, Frozen Empire will will, you know, bring on the release of new merchandise and toys and and like Derek said, DVDs and Blu-rays and 4Ks. So I, I get really into the merchandising aspect of uh, of a new movie release, but just the fact that it's the 40th anniversary, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, plenty of uh marketing executions is that what they call it uh beats throughout the year i'm trying to learn the hasbro language activations um, yeah marketing activations which usually just means like a bunch of ghostbusters fans trying to steal cardboard displays from walmart um <laughs> but it's just it's just gonna be a good year i mean it's there it's a movie year which is amazing the new comic book is starting the first ever officially canon ghostbusters comic book filling in backstory. I, I think it's really uh, going to be a special year for everybody. Uh, Tom, that leaves you. You're the person who's got to chime in and tell us what you think about 2024 and Ghostbusters. How, how do I even compare with what Craig just said? Like, how do you even compete <laughs> with that? I, I think uh, in, in the same vein as what Craig and Derek are talking about, I always have excitement when it's a big anniversary year for a movie. If you think about Mattel doing Ghostbusters figures, it didn't happen until the 25th anniversary. And that seems to, big anniversaries seem to unlock things or uh, bring about new 
merchandise or uh, new interviews or new people on the convention circuit, those big years tend to spur those. So I guess I'm looking forward to the unknowns. You know, what we don't know is coming uh, and then it surprises us. I guess that's what yeah. I'm looking forward to. The, the magic of a, a movie year and a anniversary year. Yeah, I, I think that. that sort of combination is going to be interesting. I will say at a personal level, one of the things I'm most excited about uh, is that this year, when this movie comes out, my nieces will actually be old enough to understand what the hell Ghostbusters is. Uh, so when the last one came out, they were a little too young. Now they're like five and six or six, and the other one's going to be like three or four. And so I get to actually be able to kind of like share a little bit of like, check it out. Ghostbusters is happening as there's cartoons that we're hopefully going to see in 2024 and more toys coming and I didn't get to have that experience much at the last movie because they were a little too young for it. And I don't have kids of my own. So that's kind of like my 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 one shot opportunity is to convert them and hook them while they're young, uh, <laughs> like the tobacco industry. No, uh, <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about the new year. I'm excited that you're all going to be here with us and that hopefully we are going to get to see each other. You know, uh, at if not the premiere, then at least some other parties, events, and things as the new movie comes out. Maybe at a 40th event. Who knows? Um, as a big year, there's going to be a lot to come, and I think that you know all of us who are out there creating content are going to be have a lot to share with folks out there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's 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 kind of ring it in, and we're going to do that with Ghostbusters too. Uh, so this, of course, is a movie that takes place on New Year's, and the intent of this podcast is for you to be able to listen along with the commentary track uh, at home. And to sort of celebrate and ring in the new year with us. So, you know, obviously we're not doing this live. We're not in your house, but you can, of course, sync the movie up uh, to start it. I believe at 1027 p.m. Uh, is when you want to start it in your local time zone in order for you to sync that up properly to let New Year's happen at the same time. So, yeah, tune in, uh, listen along and check it out as we offer up some insights and some commentary on Ghostbusters 2. We're going to start this thing from the Columbia logo. So if you are at the black frame right before the Columbia logo on your Blu-ray, your DVD, your Amazon Prime download, whatever it is, uh, that's where you want to be synced up. And we're going to count down in a few moments to uh, get this thing started. Any last words before we kind of jump into the commentary, gentlemen? Anything you want to add or throw in there before we get started? No, I'm ready to roll. I'm good. Okay. I think the, the proverbial sense of what we should say then is then uh, we're back in five, four, three, two, one, play. You aren't supposed to say two or one. Well, <laughs> I know. you know the rules? <laughs> but, you know, it's not a video podcast, so I couldn't do that thing where I pointed the fingers and, you know, the, the Wayne's World thing that I'm going to think about over and over now. But you should now be at five years later. Uh, this begins very abruptly, doesn't it? <laughs> I always liked it as a kid. I think that this speaks to to Ghostbusters fans. We need like that specific direction of like, when is this? Where is this? Okay, five years <laughs> later. We're good. We're good. I'm in now. I want uh, an effect outside my house on Halloween that just allows slime to seep up through the street. <laughs> it's pretty effective. I, I always liked that as a kid, too. Now, is this where I get to point out that we've done a signing with the lady in the crutches? Yes. Susan Boehm. <laughs> uh, uh, we did an interview with her, and I would say a couple things that stuck out to me there is one, the crutches are real. 
She had a little too much to drink with her friends, jumped a fence to the park and hurt herself on the way down. So uh, <laughs> that's that's a fun piece. Um, and she got her talking role because of the crutches. So I thought that was a fun little uh, what she thought was going to lose the role actually increased her role. Coming that's soon to prop store crutches screen used. <laughs> we have not had a signing with Sigourney Weaver. I wasn't going to bring it up. Lord willing. I am. I want to know when it's happening. Get it done. Come on, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, there's another one of our signers, Matt. I... Will and Hank Ditchendorf. We've we signed with Will uh, a couple times in memory of Hank. Are these scenes, uh, were these New York scenes or L.A. scenes? I believe these are New York scenes. I think these are New York. Yeah. Susan lives in New York. Gotcha. Now, the insert shots of Oscar probably would have been done in L.A. It's always interesting when you think about the opening to a Ghostbusters movie because you really have to set the tone. Um, And this doesn't have a big reveal uh, of a ghost. Well, I guess the first movie doesn't really either. Like it just it's kind of a tease of what's to come. Um, I remember as a kid, though, and and now I think the opening to Ghostbusters 2 might be my favorite of, of all the movies. It's definitely filled with stress and anxiety. Right. I'm shocked. The music that as comes a, in is really cool. I'm shocked that as a community of fans and prop builders, that there are not more RC strollers out there. Oh, I know it'd be so cool. <laughs> I think there was one at FanFest, right? I don't know. Was there? I might have missed that. I, I, I could be mistaken. Here is uh, footage of a car that needed no special effects because it was running this badly. I think that's Ivan driving <laughs> right there. I think so too. I believe so. Those uh, logos on the doors are slightly different than they are in the 84 film. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Minor differences, I guess. Make sure you track your license plates, too. And throw back to the Scrooged commentary in three, two, one. (laughs) Yes, uh, it's recently been discovered that not only is she in this movie, she's also in Scrooged, and of course... She's the Walsh kids, mom and Goonies. So she, she has a good run of films there. Not to be morbid, but it didn't, she pass away as well recently, like last couple of years. Yeah. Oh, that's she a sure did. I'm going to, that's going to be my contribution throughout the commentary. This person's not <laughs> alive anymore. Uh, Dang, I can't get her autograph now. You can. She did a convention in the UK and they had her sign Ghostbusters photos and had them for sale on her website. But she's in the movie not very long. She's in a lot of 80s movies. So it's pretty surprising that they're out there. I always like the synchronized dancing here with Winston <laughs> Array. I thought I always thought that was a nice like they practiced that for sure. Who choreographed that? Yeah. <laughs> so imagine being one of these kids and like you're going to be in a movie and you have to go through the firehouse in order to get to set. You know, that was pretty cool. And this is our first glimpse of Winston without a mustache. Yes. You know, watching this in higher definitions really lets you see the ripstop in this uh, uniform much more clearly than I think I've seen it in years. Yeah, I have a, a nice HD copy. By the way, I think we all missed pointing out Jason Reitman, but I think anybody listening to this already already knows yeah. about, about his... Uh, Brownstone boy? Brownstone boy number two, his famous cameo. His dad thinks these guys are full of crap. I really hope that he cameos as that kid in in frozen empire just just anno- just annoyed that the ghostbusters are back i think that would be fantastic 
That would be amazing. If, if, if it was like a throwback to another birthday party, it would just be, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that would be kind of great. This is like potentially my favorite scene of Egon in the entire like franchise is like seeing him actually like back at work doing scientific research that somebody's actually funding as opposed to trying to drill holes in his head or something else. Look at the volume of his hair. Yeah, it's huge. Look at the dye job, too. Have you noticed that the three leads, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, all have the same color hair in this movie because they all had to have their hair dyed. And it's it's pretty obvious if you look. I That's think. great. Yeah. You can That's see funny. it in Scrooged as well. You can see Bill Murray's got rocking a pretty strong hair color uh, in Scrooged. And that's filmed, you know, uh, arguably about a year earlier. Right. So it comes out in November of 88 and this movie comes out in 89. So kind of all filmed in the same. Same window of time. This movie does a really good job of, you know, I know people sometimes have the complaint of Ghostbusters 2 kind of resetting everything and, and going back to the drawing board, having to restart the business again. But I think this movie does a great job of quickly filling in the gaps of who's where and why, right? Like yeah. we, we know, we know what happened to the Ghostbusters. We know why they're down on their luck. Egon's back at work. We're about to see, you know, Peter hosting the, the uh, world of the psychic. It's, 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 t- I think this movie's tighter from a script standpoint than maybe, maybe people give it credit for. Yeah. yeah and I think Agreed. it's a movie that has like kind of grown on us over time. I think I can remember this movie coming out and people being like, eh, it's not as good as the first one. And then like Batman dropped the following week <laughs> and kind of crushed the box office and everything kind of changed for the rest of that summer. But, you know, the more I watch this movie over the years, the more I really just appreciate getting to see each of these characters breathe a little bit, um, have their own moments away from each other. Whereas in the first movie, we really meet them as an ensemble and they don't have time apart. And this movie really lived on cable for so long. And it seems like there was a period where this was probably on more than the first film. And it just, you know, probably it was just in front of a lot of people for a long time. Yeah. I love that look he gives after he gets kissed. Mm -hmm. Then there's Paige Leong. We'd worked with her, Spangler's assistant. She doesn't remember much from the filming of the movie, except that Harold was a very kind person who was getting his family ready for a ski trip. So <laughs> there you go. Of course, the girl with the puppy is Catherine Reitman. Yep. Jason's sister, Ivan's daughter. Have you reached out to a signing with Catherine? No. All right. Well, not a bad idea. Now, these two we've tried to work with, <laughs> but Milton, he's tough. Transformers money. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely fits the category. Uh, what, what's this actor's name? Does anyone have it off offhand? I should probably get the cast. Uh, IMDb. It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, um, Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn. He's yes. one of those guys that's like, he's been in a lot. He's one of those guys. It's like, oh, that guy. I've seen him in everything, but then you can't name one thing. <laughs> <laughs> he also has yep. the most accurate prediction of everyone in the room. That is true as well. <laughs> right? Like if they don't intervene, he actually gets to be right. Everybody else in the room is wrong. And even if he's not going to sell a lot of books, like he's like, it's going to happen and it's going to happen this year. <laughs> well, it's not a money making scheme. No, of as course he, not. As he, as he articulates. 
And this was a reshot scene like this. They had a completely different version of this right. shot early on. And this was this was shot pretty late. The same cast in the original shoot? No, huh? different cast. Different characters. It was pretty, pretty wild. Huh. I think it was on the 4K, the last 4K release, the, the full scene. Yeah, I remember seeing there's a it's either a deleted scene or some still images where it's it's oh, no, it's a, there's a the GB2, the deleted scenes. There's a whole yeah. different setup for this. Yeah. There's some lady playing, uh, uh, I don't know, some sort of instrument. I can't remember the name of. I just wish that we could get the whole DVD collection of the best of World of the Psychic. (laughs) Or like, you know, if you watch an old VHS, it'll be like, for the first time on VHS, it's the Mary Tyler Moore show. Three of the most famous episodes for $39.95. I want to know if you're going to plan to throw the 40th anniversary YHS party at the Holiday Inn in Paramus, Um, because it seems like it would be the most appropriate place to have a hotel block to me. Just that of that's pretty cool. That's a good idea. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Bill's facial expressions this entire scene are are unbelievable. Never noticed the shoes in this scene. I know. I was going to say the same thing. The red shoelaces just (laughs) jumped out. You see something different every time you watch the movie, right? And the more high definition they make it, the more stuff you can notice. I'm just noticing now that the background, the backdrop looks like, remember those old candies? It was like paper. Yes. Dots or something. I don't know what they're called, but yeah, those little like candy dots that were on a piece of paper on a roll that you would just like, Rip off. Or the packaging for Wonder Bread. Right. Oh, yeah, too. that too. You're right. No respected psychic. Who respects the <laughs> psychics out there? That's what I wanted to. <laughs> Here he is, Kurt Fuller. Oh. Yep. Ugh. He's the uh the the guy who if if William Atherton is sort of the villain glue of the 80s, I feel like. Kurt Fuller is the villain glue of the 90s. We had Kurt Fuller on YHS. I mean, it's probably been five or six years now. Oh, yeah. Um, One of our first big gets (laughs) for an interview. And uh, he had such fond memories of of filming Ghostbusters 2. Um, And it kind of sounds like he was a little bit down on Wayne's world. Like he didn't think it it held up as much, but I think Wayne's world's fantastic, but I agree with you. Yeah. Um, he, he talked about how, uh, the Ivan kind of kept telling him to slow down. He, he was, he was just, this was one of his first, you know, big roles and he was talking really fast. So Ivan was just like, chill out a little bit, buddy. This character makes so much of this movie like the dynamic between him and bill murray throughout this movie is something that i cherish the longer i watch this i mean it's definitely a throwback because i mean obviously peter mcnichol does not have this uh no (laughs) this nondescript european accent and you know, it was the, it was a choice. Like this could go, this could be really, this could come off as really cheesy or really over the top. But he's he's fantastic. Yeah, I was also thinking about recently in a recent watch of this that um, Venkman makes a joke about green cards 
<laughs> in this movie that you go, oh, yes, uh, that's an expression people used to use with respect to uh, immigration policy. <laughs> Peter McNichol is like one of those guys. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, he becomes Renfield and he's not like a method actor, but he's so different than anything else you've ever seen him in in that. And he's somebody that we've tried to work with many times. And uh, what's happening with this painting? It's not happening. <laughs> Ah, St. Mark's Place, a place I spent a lot of my high school years. And then I told Craig to go to once and he was like, where are we? (laughs) The last time we were near uh, St. Mark's Place, we we just happened to be walking down that street. And at the exact same time, Jake and myself stopped and went, I think we're near Raise a Cult because it just like (laughs) just in like your 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 system. Ray is smoking a pipe. Ray is smoking a pipe. So classy. My question about Ray's occult is the Ghostbusters go out of business. He's already got like how many mortgages that he put the house through to get the last business set up. So where did he get the capital to start this business? Right. He's sitting around talking about the load of capital they're going to need in the first movie to bankroll the first business. So where did he get the money to do this? (laughs) Well, I think we could all write some fun fan fiction there. I mean, Winston's not around bankrolling it yet, right? He's he Winston has not reached his billionaire status. He's off choreographing birthday dances with Ray. So, yeah, where did this but, money come from? But those those people live in brownstone buildings, so they're not they're not low income. So maybe those birthday parties <laughs> just pay like a lot of money. Yeah, and maybe Ray was, uh, you know, taking a little off the top, <laughs> pocketing a little bit to to fund the bookstore. It's a 70-30 split with Winston. <laughs> I want to know if he just had a really big book collection at home and he was like, I know. I'll just I'll I'll rent a space. <laughs> That's what it is. He just lives in the bookstore because he couldn't live in the firehouse. Dana's new apartment definitely has a lot better structural layout than the last one, you know, being blown apart in the windows. Right. (laughs) It's a lot of pink though. Maybe that's like uh, foreshadowing (laughs) for the pink slime, (laughs) the pink slime. (laughs) So I don't know how to articulate this, but I think this is the best group of people to talk about this specific thing. I find Bill Murray's performance in this movie to be amazing, but I find it to be quite different than the Vankman in the first movie. Sure. Like late eighties, Bill Murray is a, is a different beast altogether than, than early to mid eighties. Bill Murray. Has anybody else ever picked up on that or am I, am I crazy? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think especially coming off of watching Scrooge recently, Scrooge is like his first movie back after taking his hiatus, right. That kind of happens after, uh, he does the razor's edge. And so this is kind of the movie that he ends up doing after Scrooge. I think and he maybe done quick change, maybe between the two of those, perhaps I'm not sure. It goes after, like is it after, um, yeah. but he's, you know, he kind of went from doing Scrooge to going off to doing this. And I think he was sort of working to establish himself as a stronger actor, as opposed to just being a, a comedy, you know, performer. So right. I think you're right. 
I've often said that as much as this movie is one that repeats some beats, I feel like it also gives Venkman uh, some character growth, you know, by the end of it. You actually get sure. to see him kind of mature a bit. Mm-hmm. And Bill never really stopped doing that. He reinvents himself and he kept doing that throughout the 90s and then ultimately started working with Wes Anderson, which kind of took him away from movies like this. Yeah. And it does have the same beats, but it also has a completely different tone and a completely different vibe. I think it doesn't get enough uh, love for that. No, I definitely think this is a movie that over time, like I don't, I don't like ironically love Ghostbusters 2 or just love it because I'm a fan of the franchise. Like I, I genuinely, passionately adore this movie. And in some ways it means more to me than, than the first one because of the age I was when it came out. Tom and I debate this all the time, and I've always said Ghostbusters 2 is my personal favorite. Not the best film, necessarily, mm-hmm. but I, I think there's just a, uh, there's a nostalgia to it. That's the one I grew up on. The cartoon show, the, I think a lot of the uniforms and all the other equipment's better, um, so I, I just have a, a fondness for it as well. And just as a sequel, I mean, compared to something like Caddyshack 2, you know, I mean, it's not a bad film at all. And I think, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think that this movie was a little bit more like ubiquitous in terms of its availability on video, on like television, because, you know, the first movie comes out in 1984. The VCR at that point is like kind of just breaking into American homes. It's kind of still a luxury. This comes out in 89 as you are crossing the cusp into like 1990 when everybody has a VCR. Everybody make, goes out to the video store and has a membership by that point. And so I think that, you know, you're right. This is a movie that you got to see a little bit more because it was available on home video. You could buy videos, you know, at the store at that point more often. Whereas like an 84, if you wanted to buy a retail copy of Ghostbusters, it was going to cost you like 100 bucks. <laughs> and then I felt like I heard Bobby Brown on the radio all the time, too. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack was huge. Yeah. It's always funny when you hear people discuss what they would want out of the soundtrack for the new movies and, and people will say like, "Why? Well, I, I just don't want any modern music." And I'm like, <laughs> "Ghostbusters 2 in the first movie was was it was modern uh, you know, top 40 and and hip hop and if yeah. anything, Afterlife had a total, well, didn't even really have an official soundtrack, but it was a, a throwback. I, I kind of, I'm looking forward to maybe some more updated tunes of the new one. I could do without a Taylor Swift track, though. <laughs> you, you don't think Cruel Summer? <laughs> I don't yeah, think they can afford I, I, it. I don't think they can afford that. <laughs> yeah. Afterlife had some cool music, though, some cool needle drops. I'd be curious to know, like, what else you know, Jason kind of maybe wanted to use throughout that film that he didn't get to. Well, th- I don't want to get too off track, but has anybody watched Maestro, the Bradley Cooper movie? Not yet. Okay. There's, there's a needle drop in that movie. That is uh, a song that was also featured in afterlife. And it was, uh, took me by surprise but for a couple different reasons, but it's, it's worth watching. All right. So everybody, this is your first moment with an interactive prop that you should get excited about. If you love this movie, uh, Ooh, this is one that Hasbro comes. has yet to produce for us yet. <laughs> Come on, Hasbro. Get your Geigameter ready. Come on, look how cool that is. It's a lot Let's of lights. Tell the lights. For as janky as everything else is that they make, those are some pretty polished little uh, meters. Those are Where's great. Where's that at, Derek? You know? 
Uh, the actual one? I'm not sure. Did it end up being used in anything else? I mean, the PKE meters showed up in so many different things after Ghostbusters. It was in quite a few. Yeah, like um, it was in some sort of Ninja Turtles thing. Uh, this thing called like the Blue Line or something, advertising like a public transportation thing. I think it was in a Star Trek film. Um, oh wow, it was a handful. Yeah. With all the with the way they're recreating all the attire from the different films, I want Egon's flannel from this scene. Yep. <laughs> yep. I have that Venkman flannel. It is nice. Phoebe will be wearing uh, Spangler's uh, flannel when she goes through her grunge phase. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is uh, as close as Peter Venkman gets to Axel Foley with his. Uh, there's a definitely like an Eddie Murphy like social engineering kind of you know messing with the cops, fast talking. Yeah. He's wearing the same boots from his TV show, too. Is. Oh, is oh, interesting. <laughs> this is also very much not where um, Oscar's carriage crossed the street earlier. In not case we all. haven't picked like, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Come on, don't ruin the magic, Jim. <laughs> There's not big, wide open, empty parking lots and things on the middle of First Avenue, I don't think. You know, just mm, part of this looks like it could potentially be Los Angeles. <laughs> Also, shout out to the actor's name is Dave Florick, who played the police officer there. Love that guy. He did sign for the Cryptozoic card set. That's the only way I have his autograph. He has a cool interview in the Too Hot to Handle documentary. Oh, really? That's awesome. Oh, tell me more. Uh, I don't really know much else. That's great. (laughs) He's cool. He's also in a very famous episode of Seinfeld. Uh, which is the strike, which is the Festivus episode. He's the manager of H&H Bagels. That's right. I forgot about that. Here's Wilhelm. We we missed a shot of the Museum of Modern Arts uh, sign on the outside of the museum. That was designed by Jack Johnson. And there's actually name tags on the security guards that have that logo, but they're not really in the foreground, but you can see them through there. He had no idea where it was in the movie other than the sign. Do you guys think it's true that Wilhelm walked out of the premiere when he found out his voice was dubbed, or do you think he knew that going into it? I would not be surprised. I don't know if he walked out, but I would not be surprised if they didn't tell him. I, I, I'm pretty sure he walked out. I'm not sure if he didn't know, though. But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think he, he walked out given how often that story has been told. And, you know, I think it's been yeah. repeated enough that now, let's put it in these terms. If he didn't walk out, it's been repeated enough that he walked out. <laughs> right. It's now canon. Jim Fye, who shows up a few times in this film, just talked about how everyone on cast and crew was scared of that guy. Just he was cranky, his big voice, his just big self, big personality. And it wasn't the nicest guy. This is a. Uh movie that sets off the idea of hanging out in a train station and having subterranean things that we'll see later on in t- TMNT 2. <laughs> yep. Was this originally green, Derek? Or it was... Uh, uh, they tested a lot of different colors. Pretty much any color you can imagine, they kind of threw at it. There's a lot of concept art and, you know, photo tests and all kinds of stuff. I'm glad they went with pink. I think the contrast kind of differentiates it from the first movie too. 
can't make a Ghostbusters movie in New York without Con Edison workers. <laughs> it is funny though, if you've never been to New York and, and I realize a lot of people haven't, but people who have like your first time there, I, I don't want to speak for everybody who's ever gone to New York for the first time, but I know my first time there, I was amazed at how accurate movies are to portraying like what New York really is. Like there are con ed guys everywhere. There actually is smoke coming out of the streets. Like you don't know why, but there's just yep. smoke rising. There's from steam the- everywhere. Yeah. It's crazy. I think what's pretty amazing here too is Jack Johnson, some of his concept art, just how close it is to the final product. It's pretty astonishing. Mm-hmm. And the prints that he made that we sold before are uh, incredible. This is probably one of my favorite ones. Yeah, that was a cool uh, offering from you guys. That's really cool stuff. Oh, it was yeah. cool to hear his perspective because we, before we chatted with him, his story wasn't out there. And just to hear him talk about his time on the movie before they really started shooting and everything was definitely interesting. <laughs> Yano's just showing up. How many syllables can Such we put a baby movie. here? <laughs> <laughs> such a creepy dude peter mcnichol did such a great job we only see him as a non-possessed non-influenced creepy dude for all of like 35 seconds prior to him getting possessed or whatever and it doesn't matter like you just buy that this is just how creepy he'd be anyway (laughs) derek maybe you could speak to this a little bit better but um i know early drafts of the ghostbusters 2 script data wasn't even in them so and she's such a central part of the movie. It's it's curious to think about what the movie would have been like with a a completely different uh, I don't know storyline yeah. basically. Yeah, the character's name was Lane. I mean, it was essentially the same the same character. They just kind of ported Dana over and the relationship relationship stuff with Venkman and and all that. But yeah, I think there's something about uh, Sigourney wouldn't sign on because she was still owed money from the first film or something. I'm not really sure exactly yeah. uh, what the story is there. That's what I've read too. Yeah. I think in the James Green book, he, uh, he, he goes through some of that James Green Jr. Such a cool shot. I had awesome. always terrified me as a kid. Super effective. I always wondered if he could see through the walls. Like, cause he's like <laughs> walking down, like, can he see in all the other apartments? And he's like, Oh, they're eating Turkey. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to say it now. This is probably my favorite scene in any Ghostbusters film. Yeah. It's, you're not wrong. I mean, the fact that in the middle of this comedy, they're like, let's have a courtroom drama. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just and fit. Winston is there. Yeah. And this is a courtroom that will show up again in Legal Eagles, right? Or um, did? Is it, which, or what's the order on that, Derek? I forget. It was in the Jagged Edge, I believe, prior to this, because they destroyed it on Ghostbusters. Gotcha. Which is why they didn't really want to build one kind of initially. Yeah, I think it was Jacket Edge. I could be wrong on that. I think it's in Legal Eagles. Eagles. Yeah, it might have been because that was a Reitman film. Yep. And that's in 86. So it shows up in Legal Eagles first and then gets repurposed, I think, here. Mm -hmm. I've never even seen Legal Eagles. I've got to I've got to watch that. Matt, you said this is your favorite scene. I I think what's unique about this entire scene leading up to the Scolari Brothers bust is like, this is very unique to this movie. There's nothing like this in the first Ghostbusters movie. Like this is, and also like Rick Moranis is like 
firing on all cylinders. I think oh, I yeah. think he is as good in this movie as he is in the, in the first movie. I really yeah, do. For sure. What's also fun, right above Moranis's right shoulder or left shoulder is a little person named Felix Silla. Oh, yeah. Who was in a ton of movies, but he's notice, notable for an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. And he's just sitting there. That's, I never realized he was there. <laughs> And you can't convince me that this guy is an actor. Like they just pulled him from, from work. <laughs> <laughs> they went outside and looked for a Con Ed truck and like, hey, yeah. come here. I'll buy you a yeah. slice of pizza and give you a hundred dollars if you come in here and, and you know film this. Yeah. <laughs> I always find myself looking at the the extras that are kind of in the audience or whatnot. There are some yeah. really unique costumes from like 50s gangster to <laughs> Every member of the village people, it looks like. I'm Some just, dude in a pimp hat, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, what what were they thinking in the wardrobe department would be my top question, I think. Well, how many of those people came out because they were fans of the Ghostbusters and they were like, the Ghostbusters saved my pimp business. <laughs> <laughs> I just so maybe saw I should know of... this. Go ahead. I was uh, just going to say Winston was back there. Just yeah. There. <laughs> so why is he back there? Why is he not at the desk with everybody else? Why is he... Off the hook here. Is that just works with those guys? He wasn't even there. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason why Winston went on to be a billionaire. He knows when to distance himself. (laughs) As soon as shit hits the fan, he's like, I'm out of here. But he's is he's he's not there right now. Is it confirmed that these three guys are wearing the same suits that they wore in the opening of GB1? Or is that just in my head canon? Because Hoffman had a red tie, and Ray had that jacket. So that's a great question. Own one suit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Got to get my court suit out. Harris Eulen, he's one of those guys who I I don't mean to be uh, disrespectful, but I just remember watching this thinking that dude is really, really old. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. he is still alive and working. Yeah. And really, really old. I heard he signs through the mail at his apartment. So sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> he was great in Ozark. <laughs> oh, he ruled in yes. Ozark. Mm-hmm. Or as every mom in America calls it, Ozarks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Harris Eulen is 86 years old. Still, still out there. So apparently he was good friends with um, uh, the mayor. The hell, what's his name? David, David Margulies. David Margulies. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the most important contribution that this scene has in my life is that I bake bread once a week with two sourdough starters named Tony and Nunzio Scolari, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> That's cool. There's also an alternate universe movie where it's just a year of these three in jail. And I would watch that too. (laughs) Everyone's hair in this scene is great. I may want a Ghostbusters movie where um, the villain is actually a possessed bread dough. I would watch that. (laughs) (laughs) The music's really cool in the scene. And the Square Brothers look so great. Tim Lawrence uh, and his team did such an amazing job on these. I, 
Ghostbusters 2 is not my favorite film. Uh, but I think that the Scolari brothers may be my favorite ghosts. They're amazing. Yeah. It's favorite bust for sure. I think that they're also like, with the exception of Slimer, the most prolonged experience of actual ghosts in a Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> like everything else is done in montage, right? Or it's a terror dog or it's a deity. It's a God or it's a magician in a painting. These are legit ghosts. Yeah. What I love about this scene too, and you see this in the first movie as well, but they, especially Dan Aykroyd, they really lean into like that over the top Abbott and Costello, like big shocked faces make like there, there's something very just fun and, and innocent about like, like this right here, like the lean yeah, around, the around the corner. It's, it's classic. So it doesn't good. read mm-hmm. as scary. It reads as like, like funny and a safe scary in a way. Somebody meant, I think Derek mentioned the score earlier. It was such a treat to finally get the Randy Edelman release a couple yeah. years back. It, it's along it, with the commercial too. the, the, the release of the commercial and that oh, release was really cool. It, it's Those two were like my Holy grails. <laughs> we're, we're eating good as, as ghostbusters fans in the last five years. I think we've gotten everything that we wanted and, and more. Um, I mean, there was a time where there was no deleted scenes from Ghostbusters 2. And now we're for right. sure yeah. like two full releases. And what's the story on this scene? Was this improv? The Doray Egon? I don't think it was in so any of the scripts. I'd have to look. I don't know. That's a good question. Classic, though. Whoever came up with saying Egon there is a comic genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yes. it, it's it works on five different levels. <laughs> the wind Jason Reitman talked a lot about how important the wind is and how that was like the, the biggest piece of advice he got from Ivan yeah. and it, it is true <laughs> yeah it, it's something that I didn't think about until he said that and then I watched this scene again and like you can see it just the the breeze in the windows just a slight and it picks up as the possession gets worse and yeah I just love the fact that they're busting, not in their uniform, that they're just in yep. their suits. I think that's part of the reason why I love this. Many of you might remember the courtroom Maddie collector figures were, were great. Oh, yeah. Probably some of the best stuff from that line, quite frankly. And it's how you got your Scolari brothers. They were packing ghosts. Is this where I can put in requests with TCU toys to make some courtroom figures? Mm. <laughs> one day, my friend, one day. Someday. Hey, if you if you need uh, your scary Scolaris, don't forget you can always hit up Phantasm toys for those. So the other fun fact I didn't realize is that Tim and Jim, who are each of the Scolari brothers, filmed separately. They did not film at the same time. And so to Think about that and how in sync all of this is, is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Derek, I know that you have like collected um, some of the ILM like work print stuff that they've d- did for the scene. Like, can you talk a bit about like how that was used? Do you know? Uh, you mean like the, the, the print thing that like that black and white print that I sent you? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of what you're asking, but yeah, well, you know, so they would shoot the plate shots, you know, the people, the, the actors on stage, you know, with the the pack props and that kind of stuff, miming, firing the wands, and 
then they would kind of take, you know, print one frame just from each of the, you know, each of the shots and basically just hand animate the everything that goes on top of that. Yeah. That's kind of the, what they use as the base, you know, for the for the work. It's crazy. It's a crazy long that. process. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just like today it would be like, photo, go get Premiere and composite some stuff together and wait for it to render while you do nothing. And <laughs> back then it would have been frame by frame by frame compositing to animate those scenes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the car looks so good. Uh, Ecto-1A, oh. this whole montage is so good on every level possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the most beautiful thing in this movie is, that car or Annie Potts, but it's one of them. <laughs> Um, there's Jim again and just Ivan went with run DMC I mean can you believe that that's that's wild I appreciate that this is here because it made the tetherless captures of like afterlife make more sense to me like oh you can actually just suck the terror dog straight you know straight away from the person who's possessed you just need a trap and underneath it was, him <laughs> and it was buried too just like in yep. afterlife yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I thought they were like really thin traps. And I'm like, uh, you know, why, why didn't we ever see these again? Thin traps. That's funny. <laughs> I want to go there. <laughs> you know, is, is, for as iconic as the, the charcoal gray slash navy blue, no one will ever know suits are, they're only in this movie during this montage, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or is it later on Winston's in it for, for a couple minutes? but. Um, I, that I fast. Always, I love I love those suits. The the fast uh, the peel best. of the car there, that's from the abandoned uh, shots that would have been Ray's possessed and driving, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is of course Robin Shelby doing the Slimer performance. One of my favorite fun facts about this movie that I've learned about her performance in this movie is that they were figuring out how to get her to eat an entire sandwich. So they kept like shoving an entire like submarine sandwich into her face inside this hole in the Slimer suit, which (laughs) that's a weird day at work. Yeah, and I guess they went back and forth Uh, for what I've heard. Slimer was in it, then wasn't in it and then was in it again. Really interesting. Slimer and Sigourney, the the two of them, they just they couldn't make up their minds. (laughs) Slimer was still owed money from the first movie, it turns out. Yeah. One point Slimer, Sigourney was going to play Slimer. That's how they're going to work it out. That's not real, anybody. You don't need to email me and tell me it isn't. <laughs> yeah, there's Winston still in the suit. Yeah, still in the suit yeah. there. And back of the firehouse. Yeah, I always like this scene a lot, too. It's very funny. Facial expressions. Ernie, Ernie and Bill, they've, they got a really great chemistry. Is this a set? Or is this upstairs? I, I think they're at the firehouse here. Yeah, I think this is upstairs. Wow. Yeah. We see the slime blower gun on the table there. Great piece of equipment. <laughs> it's good to know that when they went back in business, they went and got arcade machines again. <laughs> Brought them back. You can see them in the background. That's one of the most canon things about Ghostbusters. If you reopen your firehouse, you got to go get yourself some vintage arcade machines. You have to. It's law. Where do you think all their stuff was? Because this firehouse is pretty full of equipment and. I mean, where was their stuff between this and afterlife? Right. Uh, Like as much as we we saw like the orange things show up in that movie and we were like, oh, my God. And it was like, well, where was it? (laughs) So I I mean, not to get 
too off track, but I, I always just assumed that even though the Ghostbusters went out of business, they re- they had to retain the firehouse between the first two movies, right? Like they're just it I can't imagine they bought it back. Like they have to go to a real estate agent and be like, hey, you know, we sold that firehouse a while ago to settle our legal debts. Well, turns out that all of our legal problems are no longer happening. So if you could just sell us that firehouse back again, that'd be great. Yeah, I think you have to be kind of right about that. There were some scenes set in the firehouse in um, early drafts where they would, you know, they check out the the damage in the basement and the, the hole in the roof and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I believe that there's actually like at one point in the movie, there's a lot of wood stacked in the back of the garage bay. And it's like I've read that that was a speculated to be like a the wood that would have been used to fix the floor holes like. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. Maybe the maybe the building was just condemned and maybe they were tied up in like legal appeals and lawsuits and all right. of that. And. Yeah, like I've joked that the next movie could potentially destroy the firehouse, given what we've seen in the uh, trailers for it. And then I'm like, yeah, but they destroyed the firehouse in the first movie and they put it back together. They blew a hole through every floor of the building all the way to the roof. (laughs) I love this guy. Don't know uh, why I know his name, but his name's Walt Flanagan. Security guard, museum. I think I know why you know his name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's faster than Walt Flanagan's dog um, <laughs> I never realized yeah, that. I know that um, very creepy <laughs> very creepy here with Vigo that's really how Vigo was supposed to look throughout you know we weren't supposed to have the big floating head he was supposed to be talking within the painting kind of like that oh interesting was it yeah. just like uh, hard to pull off mm-hmm. yeah they were having know. troubles with it yeah the time frame, that kind of stuff. There's a story that we've been told by a couple different uh, actors who worked with Wilhelm that uh, one day after a long uh, day of shooting, they were all washing off their makeup and he comes storming out and goes into the shower, which was communal. And uh, a few minutes later, <laughs> walks out stark naked and just starts screaming, where's the soap? Where's the soap? <laughs> And that's uh, left an impression on <laughs> his fellow <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 cast. <laughs> now that's the action figure we need. <laughs> Vigo on a rope. Vigo on a rope. Oh, uh, Derek. Oh. That's an idea. Huh. Vigo soap on a rope. So. I have to give it to the LA Ghostbusters who have a very large, like to scale uh, Vigo that they bring out to conventions. And then they also have a stick on kitten so that that way people can pin the kitten on the Vigo and give him back his kitten. So he can no longer have Carpathian kitten loss. That's funny. I like that. He's that uh, Janos describes him as a very powerful magician. Cause in, I always, in my brain, I'm like, okay, so he's like the David Copperfield of his time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the David Blaine. <laughs> well, he's watching David Vegas. Copperfield because they were both involved in making the Statue of Liberty disappear. Zing! That's, yes, that's good. I I'm appreciate out. that. Goodbye. <laughs> Hello. Um, Siegfried and Roy. That's why he's missing his uh, cat. <laughs> 
is it is it commonly known that Vigo is not at all a painting and that that's a living photograph by Glenn Etchison? Do you think your audience knows that, Jim? Because that's really good know. trivia we should mm. focus on. I go ahead. That's it. It's a painting. Yeah. Not or not a painting. It's, <laughs> it's a photograph. Not a painting. It's a big photo, yeah. Just a big photo. I think they distressed it though, didn't they? They uh, mm -hmm. yeah. before they used it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, uh, brush strokes and cracks. Yeah. And that they went thing, to Vista you know? Print in order to stretch <laughs> canvas. <laughs> old old movie making trick. Is there any way to tell the difference between Will and Hank in these uh, shots? So we did ask that uh, when we were doing photo selection, and he even asked. Uh, Will asked his mom. Yeah. And uh, not really. No, there isn't. <laughs> I've always suspected that about twins. Like if you have twins, you don't know which one's which till they're about 15 <laughs> years old. Except if one looks like Danny DeVito. Right. Yes. Uh oh. Don't make me do my own sorts of impression. Don't make me do it. <laughs> Why wasn't he Vigo? He would have been a great Vigo. That'd have been a great cameo. Jason Wright had he, stopped it. Had he done. I was going to say, had he done twins yet? <laughs> yeah, he did yeah, just right before to... Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Like in between Terminator and Terminator 2. Arnold Schwarzenegger as Vigo. That's a fun what if. That being said, I think Ivan said that the reason he cast uh, Schwarzenegger in twins is because he felt that he was actually good at comedy. And yeah. if you were to cast him in this, he wouldn't have been utilized for the reasons that Ivan saw value in using him. You know, that's true. I like the small, like two and a half foot silver Christmas tree that Peter has. I was yeah. just about to point that out. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever realized that until this viewing. The set decoration on this apartment is amazing. And I, mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed to admit, I noticed the GB1 newspapers and magazines like within the last couple of years for the first time. <laughs> I'm assuming this was a set. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like built as a complete like building sure. like inside the, the soundstage. So when Oscar is crawling out on the ledge, like that's the same set just outside of those windows. Okay. I appreciate that this movie takes place after the World Series victory of the New York Mets. And thus we get our New York Mets mug <laughs> in this movie. I don't think enough people talk about the fact they have a phone booth in the firehouse. Yeah, it is kind of weird. <laughs> don't think I've ever realized that either. <laughs> I just assumed he didn't know that was in a phone booth. And they had the internet. And a cot in the background. Some sort of net. It's the ARPA net or the DARPA net or something. He's actually dialing into bulletin board services. Yeah, like 9,600 baud. <laughs> the bottle of Evian in the background. Yeah, the yes. little bottle of Evian. There's always good product placement in a Ghostbusters movie. It's part of it. Is the poster in the background like um, a periodic table of elements? Probably. That's why they just know the atomic weight of cobalt. The yeah. reference is right there. Because the things that were in my chemistry high school classroom are just on the walls. The bowling pin lamp in the background of this scene is something that I also wish that I had in my life. <laughs> I didn't know it was a lamp, to be honest. I always thought he just had a bowling pin in his apartment. No, it's a lamp. I've looked That's for this, uh, this Jets sweatshirt once a year for the last 20 years. 
<laughs> Never found it. It's a great couch, too. That'd well, be I think a crazy the, Dragon um, Con costume. Just show up in just that. I'm wearing, <laughs> wearing just the sweatshirt from the Jet sweatshirt as your pants. <laughs> Massive oversized one, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out where it pops up, but the Statue of Liberty lamp um, in Vankman's apartment, mm-hmm. I think it was owned by Michael Gross after this, and he passed it on to um, Adam Marish, fan, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters fan, Adam Marish, who he owns the actual lamp. Pretty cool. I have one of those lamps, but it's not screen used. Lots of empty beer bottles in the vein. A lot apartment. of beer bottles. <laughs> Popcorn containers. Just some weird stuff. And then random statues of people who are dancing topless and banging on a drum. Mm-hmm. Got some Laura Antonelli tapes around there somewhere. <laughs> are, are we to believe that Peter Vakeman is hitting antique malls on the weekend? Or, or <laughs> swap beats, flea market? <laughs> the truth is that most of these objects are haunted. We just don't know about it. <laughs> So this, the exterior of the museum, I've been there, but it's not an actual museum, right? It's a, it's something else in New York. Yeah, I have to admit that I forget what it is. It's like, it, it was the customs house. But yeah. I, I think it's, it might be some type of museum now. I just remember it. I'm an Impractical Jokers fan. If anyone watches that. Yep. And uh, one of the Impractical Jokers got in. Some fake trouble here on these statues by climbing it. Oh, that's what it is. It's the National Museum of the American Indian now. That's right. The Customs yeah. House, I believe, is Venkman's apartment. Okay, interesting. Ah, uh, okay, okay. It's a, it's if it's a couple couple train stops away from wherever you are in New York at any <laughs> given moment. Check it out. Lots of scenes of Peter Venkman not wearing a proton pack in Ghostbusters 2. It's so funny when you think about all the camera equipment they carry around in these movies now that would just be replaced by a cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not just that they're cameras. It's that they're like the rarest, most expensive cameras you could. Right source it's insane that's why i always laugh about afterlife when when the originals show up and they still have the walkie-talkies i'm like come on (laughs) there's that famous well i say famous i'm sure a lot of people have seen it the the kids home videotape that's on youtube Mm -hmm. the dad and his kids on the set yes which is just fantastic. It's just wild. Um, I remember the first time I saw that on YouTube, it blew my mind. I think that might be the first time Ackward called someone a cadet. That, that might be true. Been. Who knows? Hello, cadets. I just Although like that I'm they sure, let them on, on set. It's so funny. I, I'm sure Jason Reitman was the first cadet. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, you, you're probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> Wild, how many of these lines I still use in my daily life. (laughs) Look at Janos, too. He's so distressed about what is happening. He knows he's going to get in trouble. Vigo's going to yell at him. He's going to get lightning eyes later. It's going to be so bad. That's the scene I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the customs house. Okay. 
what was that thing that Winston was holding? It looked like a whisker or a, I don't know, a potato masher. I think it was part potato masher, part like, uh, yeah, you can make, I don't know, something I can't remember. It's, uh, it's, um, oh God, cause people build them. It's a metal detector. Metal detector. That's with, right. Yeah. And the antennas are replaced with, or the long parts replaced with like a bent, uh, kitchen utensil of some sort. And there's a sea turtle lamp. on top of his computer. There is a turtle. <laughs> there's that the Statue of Liberty monitor. lamp. Ah, yes, that, that is the Liberty Arm lamp. Mm-hmm. More foreshadowing. Yeah, there's so much going on in the background in this apartment. Is it a birdhouse? Just hanging out? Yeah, or a mailbox? <laughs> There's also he's got just, a New York Yankees pennant. So is he a Mets fan or a Yankees? <laughs> right. <fan>? Yes. <laughs> and a Ouija board. I'm surprised. I'm no longer watching the movie. That. I'm just watching context clues in the background now. Sorry, everybody. Well, being a Cubs fan, I'm surprised. Like, there's that story in Gone Girl that uh, Ben Affleck refused to wear a Yankees hat, so they had to switch it to his uh, Red Sox hat because he's a psychopath. Well, I can um, see why. That's that's like <laughs> that's a little Hatfields and McCoys kind of thing. But this is Sigourney Weaver just in a towel for this entire scene, which is another choice that they made. I don't know if they would do. I don't think we're going to get uh, Carrie Coon walking around the firehouse in a towel. Probably not. Soon. I guess knowing how long it takes to film these scenes, do they just keep hosing her down between shots? <laughs> she just keeps jumping back in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> right. They do stay consistent with Peter Venkman's wardrobe throughout the movies. Like he loves plaids and, and yeah. sweaters and sweater vests. And uh, that's why I love in the, the after credit scene of afterlife. It's like him in his civilian clothes. And it's, it's very Peter Venkman. It's his hoodie. It's his hoodie. Which you I think know. was it his apartment in afterlife, like modeled to be this loft. It's so hard to say. Like the lighting's very similar, but it's it's so hard to say. Okay, I thought that was the thing. It, I, I mean, could you could be a hundred percent right. I didn't get that impression simply because Cortland and that location are quite far from each other. So if he's a professor oh. at SUNY Cortland, he certainly lives very far from work. <laughs> if he's still in the same apartment, it's a good six-hour commute. I think he's retired. I think I think uh, old Ray Stance was. You know, he also said the firehouse was a Starbucks. Now, I think he's just a little misinformed on on a couple of his <laughs> facts there. This is a pretty iconic look for uh, Annie Potts here. For both of them, that's quite the orange vest he's got on. What material is that? It looks like a Brillo pad or something. <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> The other side of the sponge. <laughs> now we know why Rick Moranis didn't come back. I like that we get to see Lewis as just Lewis, as opposed to Lewis trying to put on the affairs of like, or the airs of a successful uh, accountant. You know, you see him in the last movie and he's constantly trying to impress everybody. And in this movie, he doesn't do anything to impress anyone. He's just trying to be Lewis. It's really fun to see these scenes with 
with Dan and Harold. They're so good together. I love that they named the prop. Uh, Harold's got his arm on the sign, but it says Deposto 4000. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny that he pulls out the image um, to look at it, and it's still feeding into the machine if you pay attention. <laughs> like, it's still halfway loaded in. Ivan's like, yeah, let's let's rush the scene a little bit. Come on, speed it up. Let's guys. move this along. This is taking too long. And Dan Aykroyd's like, but it would take this long for a spectral analysis. <laughs> this was another scene that creeped me out as a kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. very scary. I feel like this must have been cut out and shown to kids and elementary school classrooms like always have a plan for two exits kids and winston was saving the day always just a quick reminder it is christmas time in this movie don't forget another scene that was refilmed we've ecto 2 yes the uh, the deleted scenes. This originally was filmed. Uh, well, I don't know if originally, but there's an alternate take where this is. This conversation happens inside of Dana's apartment. No, it was yeah. They they shot shot it before inside the apartment. What's with the Ecto two plate on there, Derek? Do you know the story behind I, that? I, I'm not sure the story behind it. Like in documents and schedules and stuff, it's it's called Ecto two throughout the production. So I don't know if it was just a mistake or what. Wait. Is the front plate, does it say Ecto-2 right there? Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Learning something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's the only moment in the movie where we see it that way. I've heard it suggested that it was listed as Ecto-2 and then they changed it to Ecto-1A, which would suggest that this would have been shot earlier than yeah. the other stuff. Yeah. And that maybe they decided to go with this take after doing the alternate one that they did inside the apartment. And they went, you know what? Let's just do the other one. Cause it's shorter and more to the point. Mm-hmm. But there's, I, we've, we've got like the, the call sheets and the schedules and stuff. It was, it was shot in like March, I think. Not to open up the car debate, but do you think one a leans toward it being the same car or a different car? Oh, good God. It's the same car. Mm-hmm. It's the same car. <laughs> I would say one a is the same car. Yes. I, I lean towards the same car. Are you guys talking yep. about canonically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in, in the universe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. It is the same car. <laughs> not, we're not, this is not even a debate. It's the same car. Which I've been thinking about something. Okay. So we're, we're in a great spot here. I mean, it's not really uh, pertinent to what the scene is, but so, okay. Ghostbusters two, we've got the logo. We've got all this like in, in universe meta stuff. Where you guys are from, so so if if a re- business or a restaurant or something reopens, sometimes they'll have a two at the end of it, where there's like Eddie's Mufflers two, or you know like a, a whatever kind of restaurant two. Oh, it's like that, a second location, right. yeah, a second location or something like that. Is that what they were kind of going for on this? No, I, I think kind of like the. I think this had to do with the two times the particle power and two times the. Mm. It was part of the marketing campaign that everything was two times the this and two times the that. So they mm-hmm. brought back the number two on the fingers. In universe, I was just as a kid, I'd be like, no, it's like Ghostbusters. They bring peace to everybody. That's what I thought. <laughs> yes. But you've now made me remember that there were five different Chinese restaurants in the 
town that I went to college that were all owned by the same family that they went up to like young ho five. <laughs> right. I go to chin chin two all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I would buy toys of this if they made them. Yeah. They're actually in a dance club. Are they it's really? Yeah. Uh, in New York called the Tunnel Club. I did not know that. I love this scene. I love the idea of a ghost train, and I loved it again when Rick and Morty decided to make a character named Ghost Train. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ernie Hudson talks about how lame he thinks this scene is and the way it was pitched to him versus what the final product was. He was like, come on. I, I just love his face here. Mm-hmm. He makes it work. Like, it is a, a goofy scene otherwise. He's not slime. There's nothing else that happens to him, but. You know, it works. They have their belt gizmos on, which is fun. And their I, was just saying, I love that roll on the back of Ernie's belt. They got sample jars, jars for slime samples. Yeah. All sorts of neat stuff. What about the past guys? <laughs> I also like the idea that Ray just wandered off. Like they were, it was a train barreling at them, and he's like, oh, I found this hole. Let's go. He was making a crystal head mixer at the bar. <laughs> in the a lot club, of people, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that the actual secret ingredient of crystal head is right here. 25,000 gallons of it. It's filtered <laughs> through all those Herkimer diamonds. That's why it's clear and not pink. Right. Okay, I bought, he doesn't know this yet, but I bought my brother a bottle of crystal head vodka for, for Christmas because I got to stay on brand. <laughs> Thank you for whispering that he may not hear you. I don't believe my brother listens to Extraplasm. I'm sorry, Jim. I can't even get him to listen to my podcast. I'm deeply offended. <laughs> he only listens when we like the rare times we do an MCU review. Then he calls. Hey, it's OK. It was just a couple weeks ago that I openly disclosed what my partner was getting for Christmas because <laughs> I said that she doesn't listen to this podcast either. <laughs> yes, yes. I love this scene. This is again one of those things like there's just nothing like this in the first movie. I so wanted the a River of Slime playset as a kid. Oh, and yeah. I remember making one with like flour and water and all the food dye in the world. And uh whew, it was cool for a day. And <laughs> after that it was not great at all. That's like how the Dick Tracy figures didn't come with trench coats, and I, I made a Dick Tracy trench coat out of yellow Kleenex and a hole puncher. So you're you're probably Yours was a little messier than mine. One of the most iconic things from the character. Let's not put it on the toy. Let's not put it on the toy. Classic toy. Speaking maneuver. of iconic, there's Uh-oh. an iconic cameo in this scene. <laughs> I was Mike going to say. his wife. <laughs> I wonder the original what, Ghostbuster cadet. Has Pete Mosen talked about the full story of how he ended up getting the invite to, to do this? I'm sure he has. Not that I've heard. We've invited him for an interview. But uh, we can't afford him. <laughs> well. Maybe you give him a jingle in the year 2000. <laughs> what That's kind of restaurant are they at anyway? I'm like, I've never oh, thought about this. It has Derek, a D. 
Derek, what's the name of the restaurant? I have a matchbook from the restaurant. It was called Memphis or the, uh, in the script. I don't know like where the, the actual location. Ghostbusters 2 restaurant. Uh, it went out of business, I think. And, and they, I bought a, an original matchbook from, from the, uh, one of my dumb eBay purchases. I think it's a very smart eBay purchase. I want to know what Venkman has living in these aquariums. The Haslab we all need, the crystal ball. <laughs> Janine's crystal oh. ball. Ay, ay, ay. It's a very different Janine than the first movie. You know, she's very, very forward. Different Janine. I always thought it was interesting that because it kind of seems in the first movie, she's her and Egon have something going on and then they just kind of completely don't acknowledge that in the second movie. Well, he How had his awesome work. does this slime look on the, on the, oh. against the yellow, the yellow so jackets. Good. It does look cool. The pink slime has different like shades and viscosity and it's, it's really interesting. The pink slime. Yeah. It almost reads as viscosity. purple here. Yeah. Good word. And it's like, uh, it's opaque, but in the bathtub, it's like, I don't know, it looks like yogurt or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everybody listening knows the story that they had to film this twice. But that's one of the stories that was told a lot. The shiver running up my back story <laughs> from this film. Yep. Why was it filmed Although twice think- for anybody who doesn't know? Um, the the a mag messed up. Yeah, something like happened with the camera and the the gate or something. Yeah. Um, but they uh, apparently it was extremely cold, and they had to inform everybody the the next day that they had to do it again that night. And I don't think they were happy. And that was like an actual hole they were in. It, yeah. it wasn't like a prop hole or something like that. It was <laughs> it's like a a phone switcher, yeah. and apparently really small. There's man in restaurant. There he is. Uh, Jacob, Abigail, and myself did these costumes uh, for Dragon Con. We, there was a PKE Surge slumber party or pajama <laughs> party about five years ago, and we did the the slimed Long Johns. Did you get slimed Again. for it? We did. We made slime and slimed ourselves, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the prop fans have picked out the wine they're drinking. I'd be curious Ooh. to know that. Yeah, what did Peter order? Did he go cheap? Did he get like a nice <laughs> vintage Cabernet? There they are. Have we identified the Long Johns, though? Do we know the brand of those, Derek? I'm not sure. <laughs> those red they ones need are a little Winnie awesome. the Pooh patch on them, though. <laughs> get some synchronicity going. Will uh, Will's mom still has that onesie, the Winnie the Pooh onesie. Wow. That's well, you cool. know what? It should be in a museum, so... Let's let's figure that out. <laughs> Not the the museum, but a museum. It should at least be in Ghost Core. Bobby Brown. He got a cameo. Also, this is the first time they call it a proton pack in canon, isn't it? Interesting. Yeah, might be true. 
he looks like he just came from like <laughs> hanging out with Dana and Ghostbusters one. He has the exact yeah. same mm-hmm. look on his face and the exact same hair. Wait a second. Is that the same yellow turtleneck too? I think it he has might a yellow be. turtleneck under that blue I, button. Down. I really think it might be. <laughs> it's a good call. I've never noticed that. Yeah, I've never noticed that either. I might have some French bread pizza tonight. I've been inspired. <laughs> Look at these earrings. <laughs> it's like a PlayStation controller. Craig, is this has this version of Janine ever been done in anything? Boyform? Yes, Playmobil. I was going to say Playmobil. I've got it right over there. But that was the first. So not like a detailed action figure. Also, what does it say? I don't know. I don't want to reveal the secrets of movie making here, but uh, I've been doing this whole commentary with the sound off. What does that say (laughs) about me as a human being? That I know every line and every musical cue. and um, That you're one of us? One of us. I... uh, I really, uh, I love that look for Janine. I, I know Diamond Select, I feel like maybe would have gotten around to it. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in their line, they did a, a nice line of, of figures that have never been done before. I, I spoke to one of the guys from Diamond at Comic-Con toward the end of that line, because I was asking about like Scolari Brothers, and, and they said they were really restricted specifically with Ghostbusters 2, where there's characters and even actors that they didn't have rights to for the second film. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. I've always found it interesting that Ray decides that he can just help himself to a cigar in this scene. He just opens up the mayor's cigar box. It's just standing there talking with a cigar. Like these are clearly free samples for everybody. Now this is a good scene, but the mayor scene in the first movie is a thousand times better. It's iconic. Mm -hmm. Yep. What do you think? Is he president in the afterlife uh, timeline? <laughs> president Koch? Klotch? What is it, no. Lenny Klotch? No way. He definitely was uh, indicted for trying to <laughs> steal an election or something. He became somebody's lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then he made an appearance outside of a lawnmower factory and he had great part, like black hair dye going down his hey, head he, or something. He is... Um, David Margulies did play Tony Soprano's lawyer on The Soprano. He did. So. He, he absolutely did. You're right. He's a great actor. Did he sign a lot? Is his, is his stuff out there at all? I've never seen a, a photograph, uh, but he signed his mail. Matt, did, have you seen anything? I, I don't think we've seen anything where he's in character. Not from Ghostbusters. I think I've seen one thing. Yeah, I guess uh, I remember hearing he was supposed to come back for the video game, or maybe he'd even did come back for the video game, but then got replaced. Oh. In a political move to get Bill to sign on. Correct. That's why Brian <laughs> Doyle Murray. Brian Doyle the, Murray uh, became mayor. the mayor. Interesting. Brian that, Doyle Mayor. There's your title for the episode. <laughs> that checks out. I'm cool with Brian Doyle being the mayor in yeah, the movie. He's, that checks out. Well, instead, you'll have to just deal with him being here. So if he's the mayor in the new movie, is it this guy? That's the sure, mayor. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He ran on a uh, platform of trying to deal with the mentally ill in New York City. He was like, what are we going to do about this epidemic of 
mental illness. Thankfully, I have experience. The, I love that he checks his watch when he says he he waits the word of ego and checks his watch. That's great. The the deleted scene in the hospital is unbelievable, and kind of doesn't make sense because it implies maybe the Ghostbusters were there for a couple days. But uh, if anybody hasn't seen that, go go check it out. Yeah, it's yeah, it was a shock to see on that release. Oh, there's some really really funny lines. This set is unbelievable. Love mm-hmm. the floor, floor tile. I like that Janos has his New Year's Eve uh, button up on and his tie. He's <laughs> ready to party, ready to drink responsibly. He's also just kind of lounged out on the floor as he talks about this. He's like, I'm just going to kind of get low to the floor and <laughs> sexy talk this up to you, Vigo. He's pretty familiar with those candles, too. Yeah. Janos has a big night planned for New Year's Eve, it seems. So uh, this is like a New Year's slash Christmas movie. Uh, Vigo was also in another very popular Christmas movie. You may know it is uh, Die Hard. Played one of the terrorists. I never noticed that high C. Wow. Interesting. We didn't also earlier talk about the voice of Vigo. Max found... Max von Sido, Sido? How do you say it? Doesn't Cito, matter. Uh, who obviously was a pretty legendary guy in his own right. And his work on that non-canonical video game is uh, the stuff of legend. You could sit there for, I don't know, hours and just hear him say different stuff. What do you mean the video game's not canon? <laughs> yeah, Craig. It's not. It's just literally not like, I'm sorry. I, 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 for all that wish it was, I'm sorry, but I know like, the video game is not canon. I just appreciate the running joke that it is. I mean, what I've come to realize is it just doesn't matter. It's a video game and movies are just movies. So it's like, if you want it to be canon, it's canon. Good for you. I'm telling you now, boson darts are canon. I don't care what anybody says. The Ellis Island <laughs> oh incident. Canon. <laughs> Ecto, Where's Oscar? Is it there like an Ecto riverboat? Canna. The Marine Ecto. The Marine Ecto 885 or whatever. We had some lightning outside when she was inside, but now there's no storm. No, there's none. Outside. You know what I would, just real quick, I would love to ask Dan Aykroyd if he thinks the video game's canon, just to hear what he has to say. Because <laughs> he would make something up on the spot. If you ever pull that interview, you have to ask that. <laughs> oh man i've been trying forever i don't know if it's ever gonna happen i'm going to admit that as a kid i was kind of confused by this scene because i couldn't understand like if this meant janos was a ghost now if this meant like janos was just some sort of weird psychic projection and most importantly if like janos had stopped by a halloween store to grab like a wig and stuff before i think it's the second i think it's more of like a luke skywalker last jedi kind of thing i don't think he's mm-hmm. actually there he's he's force projecting himself across the city he's like sitting in a circle on the floor amidst yeah. all those candles tom you were there with what? the uh the new york comic con uh screening of afterlife there was a a guy with a baby dressed oh, yeah. in that costume. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was the best cosplay I've ever seen. So, <laughs> awesome. so amazing. It was great. Camilla Henneman 
designed that costume. She also wore it. She also wore it. Oh. Is he the only person who smokes in this movie? Dan Aykroyd like, smokes like a chimney. In this movie, too? He had a, pot, he had a, cigarette. He had a, he had a pipe, pipe in right. Race Occult. You're, right. You're talking he about cigarettes. He a cigar with the slime blowers in the Yeah, I'm talking about cigarettes. Because I was thinking about this in terms of how, like, by the time we get to the mid-90s, the whole smoking cigarettes in movies thing starts to go south and is no longer a thing. You know, it's kind of cool, and the movie industry is kind of dealing with the ramifications of it. Yeah, I think that might be the, the only cigarette in the movie. So much trash. Paper. That's that original version of the screenplay, Derek. <laughs> Bill <laughs> threw it up in anger right up right outside the set. <laughs> oh. Really scary shots. Like all, all this all looks like it's straight out of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. This is probably my favorite sequence in the whole thing. Slimed Museum. Great. This effect is so cool. Yeah. Gotta be a miniature, right? Mm-hmm. Look at this CGI. <laughs> <laughs> What's a computer? It's a thing you play Oregon Trail on, right? Yeah. You found wild fruit. <laughs> Will you ford this river? <laughs> of slime? Yes. That's what we need now. We need the Oregon Trail, but everything in it is updated to have slime and Ghostbusters in it. If anybody out there knows how to make that happen with some vintage video games, that's your new job. I'm sure somebody could do that, actually. Peter McNichol, he is so wonderful at being just the creepiest guy in this movie. Didn't he originally not have the greatest feelings about working on the film afterwards? And I wonder if it's changed since then. That's a pretty feel I mean, slighted or something. Could be expectations. He, he took a big swing and. Uh, you know, he probably didn't do much for his career just because it wasn't a, much of a success. I mean, he's the dad of the Mr. Bean movie. That's something. <laughs> I just remember a late night interview that he did. And he didn't talk so highly of his time on Ghostbusters 2. I do miss that time when actors would go on shows and, and not just shill for the movie they were in. They would tell the actual truth of how they felt. There's a Rick Moranis interview where he talks about Ghostbusters 2. And There's it's a uh, pretty yeah. scathing. So and Cannibal ooh. Girls. Cannibal Girls here. I Not to it. reference the same Starlog episode in two commentaries back to back or issues back to back. But it is like Starlog 140 that uh, Bill Murray's interviewed in for Scrooged. And it's in the lead up to this movie. And my favorite things that he says about this movie are that there is no way it will be called Ghostbusters 2. And that uh, he is hoping that it's going to be called Last of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> um, shout out to Glenn Fry of the Eagles, one of my all-time favorite <laughs> bands, who had a great solo career. You might know his famous song, which is the theme song to Beverly Hills Cop, The Heat Is On. Yes. But I love 
this song so much. Flip City is a great song. Flip City is an awesome, awesome song. That is like the third Bozo the Clown reference in this movie, I think. There's a guy who has a statue on top of his monitor. Peter has one on the side of his uh, helmet when they're drilling into the street. There's like one other. The no Bozos thing, yeah. Yeah. Look at the eyebrows. Oh. Wow. There's a lot of visually stunning effects in this montage, but those eyebrows may take the cake. <laughs> Cheech. Chong really let himself go. <laughs> Did you know that that was supposed to originally be the Hindenburg in other like, versions of the script as opposed to the Titanic? Mm-hmm. And then they they what they thought the Hindenburg was too recent or there's Ben Stein. Ben Stein's here. Some dude eating a sandwich. That guy does not know he's in a movie. He's just having great pastrami. <laughs> Gotta be a stage hand. I like that map of New York. That's how you know things are serious. They got the map out. And they the got all the little pushpins in it to show where all, all the, the paranormal events are happening. You can really see the height difference with these guys. Kurt Fuller's huge. Hey, Craig, I was going to... The theater ghost that comes out, you know, that purple ghost in the montage. I remember Mattel, when they did that figure, I know it's not the scene, but it didn't have wings, which the ghost clearly has wings. Right. And they, they, they addressed that by saying, well, you can't really see him in the movie. <laughs> they could have just told the truth which is we didn't have enough money for the rest of the tooling (laughs) (laughs) toy companies aren't going to start telling the truth now pastrami sandwich guy gets up and throws that guy out pretty quickly he's like that's it you're out of here you're out of here goodbye kurt fuller by the way the bozo thing bozo was huge bozo was like tiktok is now yeah yeah people don't know that (laughs) it's a cool eclipse too it's very effect now this is a little bit like the first movie when they say there's a beat for beat thing this is a little bit but you know what I love it you've never seen people put on flight suits so quickly in your life Well, that's like the funny thing like we've all anybody who's ever put on a Ghostbusters costume it takes a while I mean in the most unbelievable thing of superhero movies are like how quickly they get into those costumes. So. I feel like what when I think? put on a flight suit, it's like putting on a survival suit in Deadliest Catch. <laughs> Isn't it odd, though, that I, mean, I know we talked about the tan versus the gray earlier, but like especially here in the finale, wouldn't you think that they would have those suits on considering how key they were in the marketing right could only wish tom you would think so well because it's like you know you at the end of batman forever you get the sonar suit like you always get you got to save the new suit for the end of the movie what would you do if at the end of uh frozen Mm -hmm. empire yes stance venkman and zetamore show up in the sonar flight suits the sonar (laughs) flight like (laughs) the like rubber (laughs) and they have nipples yeah, rubber, <laughs> metallic, nippled flight suits. Yeah, I'll be into that. Yeah. Dive suit race dance. Oh. <laughs> they just walk out. Vankman goes, I guess this is a frozen empire. <laughs> That's his line. I, I want See, that I, movie. I could write a movie. 
I love this list of like, we're going to get a great apartment. We're going to get a car. We're going to get all this great stuff when your baby becomes possessed by a demon. (laughs) Totally delusional. We're going to be able to go down to Zabar's. We're going to get amazing pastries. We'll have the best bagels in the city. I love that free parking is one of his perks. Yes. <laughs> in New York City, of course. Does anyone have one of these flight suits made of this material? No. Yeah, they I seem so, so, like, much more, uh, like, baggier, but also uh, maybe the guys are just a little doughier uh, underneath, but they just, they, f- they feel very different. They feel less they, military. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, that's really kind of what it is, is they're cotton, right? Like that they're a cotton based suit as opposed to being polyester or Aramid or Nomex or whatever else you base it out of. I've I've never really liked the the khaki GB2 suits. Um, I think it's a reshoot as well. Oh, yeah, Derek. So a lot of the third act here was was redone, correct? Mm -hmm, Yeah. What, What was the core reason behind that? Uh, most of it was beefing up the final confrontation with Vigo. They added a lot of stuff. Um, the, the psychic breath or whatever that he uses to paralyze them. A lot of that was kind of like added on. Okay. I mean, it's pretty common these days. Like uh, people talk about Mm -hmm. the Ghostbusters two reshoots, but, uh, I think every movie goes through it. One thing I appreciated that they got rid of in this scene was Jack Hardemeyer showing back up at this point in the movie like they get rid of oh, it yeah. by this point you know in the version we get in the theatrical version but the deleted scenes uh show us you know he tries to attack the building and break his way in and the building eats him which is weird that's also the <laughs> yeah. only scene in the movie where we see the ecto 1a license plate with the statue of liberty in the center of the plate because at all other points in the movie it is to the left of the word ecto Interesting. And you can see if you're watching in 4K that it's a sticker, which is yeah. how they make uh, license plates. And I cannot unsee it every time I watch it now. And it <laughs> drives me nuts. Yeah, Ivan was kind of a genius. I mean, not kind of a genius. He was a genius knowing you know, when to reshoot and when to re- restructure stuff and, you know, pull back and, and add. And it's really cool kind of, you know, watching that preview cut and then the finals and, you know, really kind of seeing how things 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 kind of come together. Hey, how do you think they got permission to shoot inside the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because um, Janos had a key to the city, basically, at this point. <laughs> they could do whatever we want. They had free parking. <laughs> it was Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray going by Ed Koch's office and being like, remember last time we came by during the last movie and we said we needed to shoot something? Well, this time we're going to need the Statue of Liberty. You know, it's if uh, if you watch YouTube and you watch those channels where they people watch movies for the first time, uh, which is not my favorite thing to do in the world. I, I don't really value that as great content, but it is fun to watch people's reaction watching this scene for the first time because it's usually like a younger person in their early twenties, and they're like, "Wait, they're doing what? <laughs> this is the most <laughs> insane." We take it for granted, but this is the Statue of Liberty stuff in this movie is unbelievably insane and it's i love nuts. every second of it but as a kid i absolutely loved it and if it wasn't enough 
that it was happening, they managed to work a Nintendo controller into the entire scenario, <laughs> which just sold it. It made it so much more credible to me as a nine year old kid because I was like, well, yeah, of course, like you got to be able to pilot this thing. But it meant that you as a kid could do it like, you know, if you could play video games, then you could do this. <laughs> So prior to Jackie Wilson, it was uh, Everything is Beautiful by Ray Stevens was the song that got the, the slime going. Oh, interesting. I think it's funny. Jim was telling us when he so he was originally hired for the Statue of Liberty and uh, he didn't know what he was interviewing for, but he knew that in the audition he had to go in and walk like a statue. And apparently there was a bunch of other guys auditioning and then he had to come back the next day and then they asked him walk like a statue with their arms stretched high carrying a book. And he started <laughs> to figure out what it was. But the idea that people were auditioning to walk like a statue is funny to me. <laughs> I mean, similar to Stay Puffed, it, there's a million ways that this could look really bad and not work. But they, between the miniatures and the actor and the, the close-ups, like it just, they somehow really pulled it off i still think it looks great all right here's yeah. your trivia question who's taller her or mr stay puffed huh a great question you right with now. the armor without no no without because you know head well, to toe statue of liberty is way taller mm-hmm. nope she's 111 feet. feet he's 111 feet and he's 112 and a half wow i didn't realize it was that close Wait a minute. Then I'm reading wrong facts. Oh, I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. It says uh, the Statue of Liberty is 151 feet tall and stands on a pedestal that's 154 feet tall. Wait a minute. No, there is no way the pedestal <laughs> is, is the same as size the as the statue. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> that's like one of those facts where you're like, did you know you could fit two full basketballs into one hoop? Like what? <laughs> that doesn't seem possible. They're both big. We'll, we'll say that. Well, you may be right about that, actually. It may be 151 feet tall that she is, and then she stands on a pedestal that is 154 feet tall for a total of 305. Well, Jim, I think we're reading the exact same Google.com. I think we are, so. <laughs> We might be. But mine has a .gov at the end of it, which officially makes it correct. Google.com.gov. No, it's just a website <laughs> off Google that's... Oh. Oh, I'm looking I love here. The net, this is a great commentary ears. now. We've ruined everything. But the National <laughs> Park Service says that from the heel to the top of her head, she is 111 and one inches tall. But from the top of the torch to the ground, it's 100. Uh, to, to the, uh, from the top of the base to the torch is 151. So from head to toe, she's 111 and one inch. Now do Rowan. <laughs> Oh, I just skipped over like 12 amazing jokes. Sorry. I brought math to the equation and ruined everything. It's anti-comedy. No. <laughs> Do you think they crush the same car, the same type of toy car when she steps on it that they use for Stapa? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a, I don't know. Good question. Tom, I don't know if you remember this, but Jim said they gave it to him and he threw it away. Yes. He's just like, what's this <laughs> yeah. going to be worth? Yeah. He does have uh, a Titanic 
ghost head that was made with his life cast that they originally were going to have a bunch of different styles of ghosts. It's, I mean, we didn't, we kind of glazed over it earlier, but it's pretty morbid to have all the ghost passengers of the Titanic, like to use as a joke. Like I was trying to think (laughs) 1912 to 1980. Is is there like after 50 years, like, you know, international tragedies are just like good to go for, for humor. They, like they, they took a lot more risks in the 80s with yeah with darkness <laughs> i also yeah. think that like this is the world before the movie titanic romanticized the the titanic right it's sort of like at that sure. point in history i think there was probably less uh, uh emotional weight to people that you know people like jack and rose you can't you can't have them as ghosts in the movie <laughs> Is that what happened? Is that why they didn't go with the Hindenburg? Because they decided it wasn't appropriate to be jokes yet? Or <laughs> I, and they just went with the Titanic? I don't know. Let's see. Where can we I would have imagined that it was a lot harder to do um the Hindenburg Hindenburg arriving as opposed to having a boat, you know, off the Well coast. the Hindenburg was much more recent. I mean the Hindenburg's nineteen thirty seven, so that's That's what 50, I'm saying. It's too 50, soon. Fifty yeah. right. It was the, the old too soon. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I think it's about 50 years. Once you're past 50 years, you know, you gotta, you can't count anymore as something sad. We totally missed Lewis Tully Ghostbuster. Uh-huh. We did. And he's great. He's a great Ghostbuster. And Slimer driving a bus, which is very funny. Sorry, I ruined it with 111 and one inches <laughs> or whatever, 111 feet. And that was the back of the costume we weren't supposed to see. <laughs> oh, is it like messed up looking? Yeah. It's like the Velcro is coming off. It was, it was designed to only be seen from the front. Huh. It's like a backwards vest. I mean, listen, I, I'm trying to be uh, objective here. I understand that maybe this battle with Vigo is not quite as exciting as, as the battle with Mr. Stay Puffed and Gozer, but I still think it's great. Oh, I love it. I love it. He looked so happy a minute ago, though. He was like, I have a baby. Look at how happy. I'm a proud papa. <laughs> I love the Venkman stuff here, too. I think that, uh, Murray really channeled this type of uh, speech for afterlife. Like, let me just insult and just be real Bill Murray here. And technically, isn't the life, the the yellow thing on their belt, the lifeguard, isn't that supposed to be going off right now if they lay still for too long? (laughs) Oh, that would make a really annoying end to this movie if all those pass alarms were just everybody's pass alarms were just going off like crazy. Vigo just goes back into the painting because he doesn't want to hear it anymore. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, forget it. The world's not worth it. No, actually, he wins because the sound of the singing outside is drowned out by the pass alarm, so it has no impact on him. <laughs> <laughs> and then that guy from the world of the psychic is totally right. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, at the beginning of the movie we didn't really talk about this, but like they're supposed to be setting up like everybody in New York's angry and like the, the building superintendent doesn't want to help Dana. They kind of almost don't go hard enough 
in the first half of this movie. It's not really to me as a kid. It wasn't until Ray makes the speech where he's like, you know, everybody's miserable or whatever that you kind of piece together what, you know, the through line. Uh, but it works at the end with everybody coming together to sing. And I think a lot of the, the stuff they were adding on was kind of uh, emphasizing that, you know, right. Kind of strengthen that, that connection there. Yeah. And now in the new year, the Ghostbusters will rebound. Although, to be fair, there was a lot of stronger singing probably happening across town outside Times Square. <laughs> Might have had something to do with this, too. I don't know. I think they had a major impact on the, the, the Times Square turnout that year. I mean, would Dick Clark's show, have, would they have you know, mentioned the Statue of Liberty walking around in their broadcast? <laughs> I bet they wouldn't have. Like, you've been in New York. There's no... what. <laughs> They didn't even know that was happening downtown. Can that be a YouTube video in Frozen Empire? <laughs> that would be great. Dick, oh, Dick I w- Clark. I want more of that than just like scrolling YouTube and just random like ghost busts. That's yeah. a great way to get that, that content like at this point with everybody being sold. Possessed Ray is awesome looking. Yes. I think there's more terrifying moments in this movie than the first as a child. And that, is, that was another one. And that's not the severed heads too. Yeah. Yeah, that is not Dan Aykroyd, no, huh? That is Howie Weed. He he plays both Dan, and then he also plays uh, Vigo in the painting. <laughs> Vigo's face when when he's just getting drowned in slime, and he's he's making that same face we all make in the shower when when you're washing the shampoo off your face or whatever. It's like, <laughs> oh, I just I need to get through this. Don't open my eyes. I'm not using my Johnson and Johnson. No more tears. <laughs> this is terrible. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then you walk out. Go. Where's the soap? You better use my voice in this movie. <laughs> I'll walk out of the premiere and make a big scene. Do you think canonically that the other guys let Lewis think that he saved the day? 100%. I think it's important for his uh, self-esteem. I want to know canonically if the reason why he acts so differently in this movie is because of the brain tissue sample he gave them in the first movie. (laughs) (laughs) He also turned into a doll. Just the trauma. (laughs) Shout out to the slime blowers. Really amazing props. Mm -hmm. Um, Love those. That was the prop team. They listened to Bill Murray talk about how much a proton pack weighs and they were like, hold my beer. (laughs) Let's make something that's bigger and weighs 20 pounds more. I've always wanted one, but how the hell do you build a slime blower? Jeez. You start with a big tank. Big tanks. (laughs) Big old tanks. Scuba tank. So do you think that like Uh, one of the things that Venkman goes off and markets after this is becomes a marketing success is he just starts bottling positively charged mood slime. Selling, you know, selling it out at clubs and stuff. Sure. Why not? Seeking FDA approval for it right now. In this the nineties, when things were lean, he's hawking it on QVC. <laughs> I could totally see Peter Vaitman as like a, a QVC salesman. Yeah, but now 100%. I want to see Don West like sell slime, like genuine mint ten condition slime, straight from the paranormal yep. event. <laughs> Two cases. Um. Guys, this was so much fun. I really loved yeah, watching fun. watching the movie with you guys. Yeah, this was a good time. I do. I listen. I try not to criticize Afterlife because I I love it so much. But I think they missed the boat on the 
on the end credits. I think this has got to be part of your Ghostbusters end credits. I yeah. agree. And I also think the, the opening Columbia logo, it was, I was a tad bit disappointed when they didn't reuse the old Columbia logo. Ah, uh, I wonder, well, there's a new one. There's a what hundredth anniversary one. I think they'll probably be using this year. Um, but I love uh, this bit. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, door anybody's door. ever gotten stuck in a, in a weird door. Um, I really I wish it. we'd get some Lewis Tully. This shot is fantastic. Oh, this shot is great. That is such shot a good shot. The Ecto-1A well, proves that the one way you make anything more Ghostbusters than Ghostbusters is just add more caution to Stripe than you did before. Of course. Now they're putting it on Absolutely. proton packs. You never know what they're going to do. Um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I, I, I hope everybody rang in the new year in a safe, happy, healthy way. Jim, thanks yeah. for having me, man. Thank you for thanks coming. for having all of us. Yeah, thank you for all of yeah. you for coming out for this. Um, yeah. And it was definitely a fun and interesting way to kind of look at this movie and ring in the new year together. And I'm really excited about what happens from here. You know, 2024 is going to be really great. And well, hopefully I, we'll have I've, more movie to do commentary on. So I've often told the story of coming out of this movie and asking my mom when Ghostbusters three is going to come. And she, she said probably pretty soon. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we had to wait a little bit longer, but. Probably did a lot of heavy lifting there. Uh. I would have liked to have seen this ceremony, like where they the Statue of Liberty is back on its pedestal. They're clearly like have a big banner. There's a, awards being given out. What did if it Slimer that flew week? out right now? And we were all like, what? <laughs> what copy did we get? Well, the joke was supposed to be she has the torch in her wrong hand. Oh, oh. which would have been a great way to end the it movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like she, <laughs> she puts the other. That's funny. That's oh. awesome. Now I want that, Derek. Jeez, come on, Derek. Don't tease us like. Or that. if she just had a copy Sorry. of like a the most recent New York Times as opposed to the book, she just picked up some new <laughs> reading material. Yeah, oh, I also guys, would have been was... fine with her getting a big bottle of ramen from the Times Square, like you know, <laughs> cup of noodles display, and just sitting there eating it. Just is eating. Um, I uh, I made it through the whole movie. I'm happy to do this anytime, but I officially have to bail. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for having me though. This, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you, Craig, for uh, being here. And uh, we appreciate that you uh, stuck around and hung out and we'll talk to you of course, more in the new year. Absolutely. And I'll, uh, I'll click the leave button now and you guys feel <laughs> free to keep talking. Bye, Craig. And, uh, happy new year. Later, Craig. Happy Later, new year, Craig. Craig. We're all still here. We're going to watch the rest of the credits together, I think. So uh, Such a great soundtrack. Yeah. I, you know, this song is actually the harder one to find at this point. Like, you can go out on Spotify and find pretty much every other song from this movie, but you cannot find Spirit anywhere. I haven't watched this movie in a long time. It, it was fun to watch it again. And honestly, I don't think I've watched the credits in years. Many years. There's good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. I, I think that we, we, we get too hung up on post-credit sequences these days. And we're I always agree with for you. a scene. Yeah. Um, it kind of is one of those situations where the reason to stick around for credits at this point has become to see if something is going to happen as opposed to just appreciate the music at the end of it and see who was involved. So.
But I definitely think it's a good successor to uh to the first movie. I'm probably will always think the first movie is my preferred film, like just because it's the one that I fell in love with first. And to be fair, like I have a pretty heavy weight on that because it's the first movie that I remember the entirety of from beginning to end. I saw it when I was four at the drive in and when I'm, you know, on my last breaths and forgetting everything else about my life, that's the thing I'm going to hold on to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like my love of Ghostbusters two is more kind of, it's definitely more nostalgic where I would say the first films I would consider, you know, close to cinematic perfection. You know, two's not perfect, but it's really good. Yeah. I think Ghostbusters 2, like growing up, was my movie because it was closer in tone to real Ghostbusters, which I loved. And it mm-hmm. felt more like a cartoon. But then as I got older, it's like there's no denying that Ghostbusters just taken by itself is a masterpiece of comedy and one of the greatest films of all time. And it's just really hard to uh, overlook that for me. You know, I, I it's it was the first way it was done. And. And while I, I really like and I, I love GB2, uh, it just it, it's very familiar when you, you're such a so for, so close with the first film, I guess. Mm-hmm. I loved that catch all uh, plus 200 other artists <laughs> from ILM. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing yeah. and how if you look at a contemporary film, all those artists would be like in this giant, like six column list <laughs> wide across the entire <laughs> mm-hmm. screen in tiny, tiny print. Right. The other thing I was thinking maybe about because they missed so many people last time, they decided to have the junk drawer line, the <laughs> plus 200 others. I wasn't on screen. Yes, you were. You were 109 <laughs> out of 200. Don't worry. But I think the other thing that's important about this movie, especially as kids is like, Slime is not a mechanism in the first movie necessarily. It's a thing that happens to Peter Venkman and we get the iconic line of he slimed me. But this is the movie that introduces slime as like a tool, you know, as like a component of Ghostbusters and part of what goes on with it. And I think if you didn't have that, it would really kind of change why ectoplasm matters so much to all of us. You know, like why that's a thing that even now collectors chase down the old ectoplasm slime stuff because it's this movie that in many ways provides that you know uh cue for play i think there's jason reitman's name on screen you know i've always i've always felt and i think everybody's probably felt this but you know obviously ghostbusters 2 takes some inspiration from the cartoon uh in ways that are obvious like slimer uh being you know in the firehouse and maybe janine having a little bit uh more of a character uh but i now that you mentioned that jim I mean, there was a lot of slime in the real Ghostbusters toy line with the firehouse, and then they sold those canisters. I wonder if there, if that's just coincidental or if that's synergy with this film. Yeah, I do too. Um, and I mean, to be fair, like to be fair, like the original firehouse had a hole in the roof of it, right, where you could pour slime through the roof, and that probably comes out. When does that toy set come out? Like nineteen eighty-seven? Is that right? I would think seven. Yeah. So. But to me, as a kid, like the concept of slime as a ghost busting, you know, mechanism or as something that the Ghostbusters deal with that isn't just gross, but actually has some power to it, um, I think definitely resonates with this movie pretty heavily. It was a slime pit in He-Man, too, to be fair. But but not in the movie. And this is definitely a superior movie to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> to Masters of the Universe. I'll pick this every day. But this was this was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad we got yeah, a chance a, to do I'm this. Blast. Yeah, this is really cool. Thanks for so, having us. I don't watch Thank it you. that often. Yeah, um, I was thinking that I watched the first one a lot and I've watched Afterlife quite a bit, but I don't I'm not 100 percent sure the last time I watched Ghostbusters 2 was before we did this. So but we did it and we've entered a new year, everybody, uh, because ooh, that was ooh, the ooh. crossing the threshold at midnight. We've done it. And so here we are now in uh, what uh, presumably, I guess, you know, if you're listening to this on the day the podcast comes out, that it probably isn't 2024 yet. But if you're listening to it on New Year's Eve, along with the movie as you're watching it, then happy new year to you out there. And if it's not quite that where you are, then happy new year tomorrow. And if it's after that, cause you've come back to revisit this afterwards, happy current year or future year, <laughs> dear listener. <laughs> um, any final comments you want to sort of throw out there in terms of, you know, wrap up on ghostbusters two or anything you want folks to be kind of be aware of for 2024 as we track into a new year of ghostbusters and autographs and documentaries and things. I'll just say happy anniversary, uh, 40th anniversary to Ghostbusters and 35th to Ghostbusters 2 and 15th to the non-canonical video game. Uh, <laughs> this this plus a movie is the best possible time to be a Ghostbusters fan. So enjoy the ride. Yeah, I agree. Um, there is more Ghostbusters to be had now than there probably was when I was a kid when this movie, when Ghostbusters 2 came out. And I tend to think of that as like peak Ghostbusters, where there's a cartoon, there's video games, there's a movie. And we're right back there again. So I'm very stoked about that. Um, Matt, anything else you want to add before you sign off here? No, just a big, it's a big year. It's exciting. And uh, I'm glad that I get to kick it off with you guys. I'm glad we got to kick it off with you too. Um, I really value all of you um, because you've contributed a lot to the podcast and to my understanding of Ghostbusters, whether it's the things that, you know, Matt and Tom, you've done these amazing interviews over on the containment unit podcast that people should go check out. Uh, who's whose interviews from this movie have you done that people should go check out if they haven't already? Ernie Hudson. Uh, Paige Leong. Yep. Susan Boehm. Susan Boehm. Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson interview is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Jack painted the, Mark the Siegel. Oh, yeah. Jim. Jim. Fye. Mark Siegel. Mark Siegel has a lot of good stuff. Jim Fies is really good. Mm-hmm. So I want to suggest the folks, if they haven't heard those already, to go check those out on the Containment Unit uh, podcast feed, which you can find pretty much everywhere you can find Extraplasm, I think. But um, yep, yeah. Spotify. Yeah, there's just not a lot known about the making of this film. So uh, I'm excited for more to come out and uh, for all the, the Lord's work you're doing, Derek. I was going to say a documentary on this would be cool, but then I realized that's what we've got going. So, yeah. <laughs> so maybe uh, yeah, hopefully this year, um, keep your eyes peeled for Too Hot to Handle, uh, remembering Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, for folks who haven't seen Cleaning Up the Town, which is, of course, the first documentary on, on the first Ghostbusters film that uh, you helped to produce and edit on um, and did a lot of con- contributory work on. That's something people should definitely go check out if you haven't already. Um, I know there's a thing out there that people call a Ghostbusters documentary that, you know, it's on Netflix and has some guy's face on the cover, but that's not what you should go watch as a Ghostbusters documentary. You should go watch Cleaning Up the Town, which is an actual Ghostbusters documentary. Uh, And yeah, I'm really excited about the next movie that you all are putting out with you and Claire and Anthony Bueno uh, are working on. So when it comes out, it's going to be really thrilling. And I'm hoping I'm I keep my fingers crossed that we will get to see it by the end of this coming year or rather this year, now that we're in 2024. Uh, uh, fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah. So, 
Um, I want to say thank you once again to all three of you. And of course, to Craig and Absentia, who had to take off and uh, go react to things happening in the world around him. But um, it's going to be a really exciting 2024. And I'm excited that all of you are involved in what happens with Extraplasm. And I hope that you'll come back and visit with us again this year and share things with us as they're happening. Um, so since this is our kind of putting a pin in 2023 and moving on, I also want to say thank you to everybody listening out there. Uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast on a regular basis, you make this worthwhile. You make it something that makes me decide I want to do a commentary with friends to share with you. I'm really excited about what's going to be happening in the future. Thanks for supporting the podcast and for supporting partners and collaborators like TCU Toys, the Containment Unit, uh, you know, the folks at Yes Have Some Podcast, the folks at Phantasm Toys, Jason over at Ghostbusters News, everybody who supports those folks and those folks who help to provide great content and sort of give back to Extra Plasma on a regular basis are folks who I really love and value. So uh, with all that in mind, Happy New Year! That about wraps up this episode of Extra Plasm and 2023. Thanks again to Matt, Tom, Derek, and Craig for joining us in celebrating the start of a new year and the start of the exciting 40th anniversary year for Ghostbusters. I also want to say thank you to Brendan Pierce of Baducci Studios who provides our logo and visual identity and to Vaporwave artist Magnavox whose version of Ghostbusters serves as our theme song. I am so stoked about what is to come in 2024 with a new movie, comics, cartoons, and more on the way. All I can say is I love this plan and I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm excited that you are too. Uh, thank you for tuning in each week and helping to make 2023 awesome. If you have anything you want to share or contribute to the podcast, you can of course reach me at Extraplasm on Instagram or X at Extraplasm Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. And of course, Extraplasm Podcast at gmail.com. I really sincerely love hearing from folks each week and hearing from folks, you know, repeatedly throughout this year as we, this was really the first full year of Extraplasm, given that the podcast began in August of 2022. Uh, it really has been an enriching part of my life for the last year to be able to interact with fans. Don't be a stranger if you're out there, if you're Ghostbusters fans and you want to talk about things that you hear on the podcast or share things that you hear. It's always exciting to hear from folks. With all of that said, Happy New Year, be well, be safe, and as Ernie Hudson says, Try to have fun, and always... Keep on busting. Take care. 